The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. I guess my, second place this time. I wow. Know. See, trying to make you feel good. And to my right is Billy I Candy Kimsey. Like a Snickers, satisfying divas. <laughs> Satisfying divas. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that one. Well, no, but I mean, I, like I, I combined it. You know, it's, it's, it's satisfaction, <laughs> and then if you're a diva, you eat a Snickers. So, Got it. satisfying divas. <laughs> anyway. And straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. Satisfying divas, huh? Aren't, aren't you a bit of a diva? Does that mean you yeah, satisfy yeah, yourself? Yeah, well. He's a lot of Snickers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is not a holiday episode like usual. But we have my wife here because this is a really special episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear what we got planned for today. But Holly is here. I'm actually the closest to his right. Yes, that's true. Yeah, to my closer <laughs> and right. And hello. Yes. And <clears throat> so I'm so excited. So in the studio today, we have Derek and Ryan Lambert. And Derek is of Myth Vision Podcast. And I just heard about you and I've been listening to your show and I'm a huge, I am a fan already. Like I'm going to be, I'm sucked in already. So thank you for being in our studio here. Thank you. I really appreciate it and uh, allowing my wife to join us. You yeah, know? it's I mean, fun. Is... Ryan, since you're a little shy, do you mind singing the Star Spangled Banner to kick us <laughs> off? <laughs> That's a no. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, but so strangely enough, uh, I was introduced to your podcast by a friend of mine, Bob Cruikshank. And we just recorded at the Brian Bible Church in, in Virginia Beach. Oh, well, that's funny. Bob, huh? Bob. Okay. Yeah, so Bob sent me a message. He's like, dude, go to Derek Myth Vision and look at this. And I was like, okay, what? And then he says, go to minute number 19. And he's like, check this out. And then, you know, Bob's probably going to kill me. But in his, in his talk that he gave, he actually uses a section out of your podcast. And he was talking about you know, that very thing that he wanted me to see, which was cool. It had to do with full preterism. Do you know what video that was? Or? Uh, you know, honestly, you could go to Berean Bible Church uh, on YouTube or BereanBibleChurch.org, and his talk is up. So and is this Mike Sullivan's church? Yes. So I, I used to watch him a lot back Did in you? the day. Yeah. So Mike— He's like a Calvinist preterist in a way. Yeah. yeah. So this is— uh, yeah. Uh, pastor David Curtis is uh, the pastor at Berean Bible Church, and then Mike Sullivan comes and he does talks there. That's and right. I'm good friends David with Mike. Curtis, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that that's how I was introduced was through Bob Crookshank, and he's a fan of your show. He loves your show, and so I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And then I did, and I thought, well, I'm going to shoot Derek an email, and I'm going to see if I can get him on the show. I mean, why not? I mean, I. Guys, I've sent emails to like Scott Stapp from Creed and like you name it. I've been throwing them out there, you know, and no one's responded. And Derek called me and I was like, no way. And even the name came up and I was like, what? And so I asked if you'd be willing to come. And I, you told me you're moving to Washington State very, very soon, like within a week or so. 
And so he drove all the way up here several hours just to be with us. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And now you can tell all of those Derek mythicists that I do exist. Yes. I mean, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why they don't think I exist. I mean, I may have walked on water and all that, but you know what I mean? It's, I'm here. I'm yeah. Here. You you have your unicorn parked outside, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... So, but the purpose of this this particular part of the podcast, and this is going to go on. We're not going to have two parts. This is going to be a little bit longer, so we're going to use our time. It, I wanted to hear your testimony because I do know about uh, that you have. I guess they call it deconversion or whatever the word is, uh, to where you're no longer in the faith and you're a skeptic. And I, I have a lot of people in my life that have done the same. And I just I wanted to hear your story, the whole story. And so, if you don't mind, let's just get right into it. And I want to ask the same question to you that I ask every guest that we have on for the testimony series. Can you tell me the earliest memory that you have of when you heard the name Jesus? Mm. Honey, will you answer the questions? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, she has to sing later. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, okay. She's not used to this. Um, I can't remember the first occurrence. My mom was a Christian. Okay. Dad was a Catholic, mm-hmm. and how they met was this thing called alcohol. Yeah. And he was military, and mom liked military men. And anyway, uh, they made me. Yep. So I can't remember the first time that I remember hearing the name Jesus, but I do recall, because memories kind of blur, I do recall mom bribing me with Golden Corral. For those who don't know what those, that is, it's a buffet. Yes. And I'm an eater. So she's like, <laughs> I, you can eat all you want. Just come with me to church. And chocolate sometimes fountain. I, do what? Chocolate, chocolate fountain. fountain. Uh, I don't, you know, I was never really a sweets kid. Hmm. I was more into fruits. I like fruit. I like uh, more bitter, sour. That's always been my thing. And I'm not saying I don't like sweets, but uh, not it's a just big fan. visually impressive, I think. Yeah. It yeah. definitely it, is. It, it tells a great lie that, uh, Golden Corral cannot back up, but go on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think when I was younger they had they didn't. the fountain back at the in the time. day. They yeah, didn't, you know. I don't remember it. At least I would think I'd remember that. But I mean, Mom was always and even to this day is a devout. Like it's for me, I call it psychological and emotional. But she is diehard. Like their Mom will will die a Christian, mm-hmm. and I don't plan on changing that. But I make the point that she wanted me to follow because she really believes that mm. one day we're all going to face judgment and we're all going to experience either good or bad mm-hmm. f- for what we either believe or for what we do. So I, I started going to church and I got I got kind of indoctrinated in a sense of, not in a negative way, I mean, like I learned about Noah. I liked the story of animals appearing on an ark and things. Like, they're not telling you, oh, by the way, every human here on earth is going to be killed by God right? because they're wicked though. And so, you know, you're not really thinking about that as a kid. You're learning about these memories and stuff. And I was a, my mom's a Christian, I'm a Christian, but I I never had that experience. Do you mind me asking which sect of Christianity? I think it was like a Baptist type church that mom took us to, but she, my mom is way more, I guess you'd use the term more spiritual. Uh Uh-huh. Meaning she was into the gifts. She grew up in a Pentecostal snake handling church, actually, in the sticks of Florida. So it was, mom was believing in like, there were speaking in tongues and they were actually interpreting them. And it was people that were getting laid on of hands, casting out demons, the whole nine. But she went with what was the best and closest thing to her at the time. And it was a Baptist church. So, but 
okay, so let's say from this point, so your mom's been taking you to church. At what point in your life did you make the decision for salvation? That, you know, that's one of those things where you wonder if you've said it as a kid, but it you, you kind of hit a moment of reality in your life. And it's something that I remember. And it was like, this was a profound experience that I had. And that was when I was at a school called Cornerstone Christian Academy. I think I was in sixth grade. And I remember the pastor was teaching, we would do class and then occasionally we'd go to a service because it's a private school, you know, they do all that. And I heard him preaching about lies. And it was such a sermon for kids to understand type thing that there was a heart tug, you know, you need to make a change here. Um, If you've told a lie, then you've told a lie about that lie to hide that lie. Now, all of these sins, God sees them. And, you know, you're kind of buying into the whole idea of heaven, hell, afterlife, and everything that the, the package deal teaches you about Christianity. And I remember feeling guilty, but there was a remedy. There was a remedy to the guilt that I started to feel from the message, and it was Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for the sins of humanity and for those who would be willing to accept him in their life. It was one of those type of not orthodoxy versions of salvation where I could go down and and ask the Lord into my heart. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling ecstatic. I mean, I felt a sensation of warmth. I I felt like this is real. I mean, it was the realest experience I had felt. And I went down and everyone's looking at me and there was just a sense like, I am I am a child of God. I have a heavenly father mm-hmm. who will not let me down. And mind you, my dad's Green Beret in the Special Forces. He's every third word is a French word. Everything yep. is bad, you know what? And it's I'll try not to to do that on the podcast, but you get the gist. Sure. Oh, you'd not be the first. No. <laughs> oh, I'm very cautious though. You yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, it's very, it all the very time. nice. Yes. I, <laughs> I I throw I throw words in casual conversation without even knowing I do it. Yeah. It happens. And I was raised with that, so I tend to do it too on accident. It's just the way it is. But dad was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. He didn't know it, but it was the years of trauma and abuse between him and my mom. And they loved each other and they still do, even though it's dysfunctional. It's caused damage that I still see the scars today in their relationship and the way they are. But that trauma of he was my God, in a sense, to mm-hmm. use a lowercase g here. He was my hero. I wrote my senior project on my father. He was everything. And every time he'd go off to deployment, it was like saying bye or someone died. You know, you had right. to you had to say bye and he'd come back eight to 10 months, 12 months later and there's dad and he glows and we worshiped him. Right. And uh, it was like, here's a heavenly father who will never do you wrong. He will never let you down. And that message was a message that really, really clicked for me. Mm-hmm. It really did. Sure. So when that happened, about how old were you when that happened? I would probably say 11, okay. maybe 12. Right. So you're still so, a child, preteen. Yeah. I might even have been 10, 10 or 11. Yeah. Yeah. Preteen. So did you, did you continue going to church with your mom once that happened? Well, it, it's kind of a weird thing because that was like once in a blue moon, mom would make it to that church. Mm-hmm. So I got to feel the taste of going into a church and then we would maybe relocate and move because dad's deployment. I mean, we lived in Washington state where we're moving again, Mm -hmm. Uh, Texas, North Carolina, Puerto Rico. I lived there for two and a half years. Um, Anyway, wherever we moved, we didn't just go to church. Mom tried to do that, but then there was a sense where we experienced away from the church and we weren't active in it. You know, they say raise a child on the way he should go and he'll never return. Yeah. 
there's a reason, I think, a common sense reason it doesn't require any other epistemological or ontological explanation for why that is. And it's if you create a habit, you teach someone how to live, they're going to stay in that path. And I got to taste both worlds mm -hmm. of what's it like being in the church and in Christianity and what's it like outside. And sure. The, and yeah. So it, <clears throat> did you begin, like, let's say you've become a Christian. Uh, most of the time, once you become a Christian, people give you a Bible. You get a Bible, and uh, of course, when we were young, it was like King James is what they had. They didn't have a whole lot of different editions. But did you read your Bible a lot when you were young? Or I read the Bible periodically here and there. I think what happened once I was with Jesus, we relocated mm -hmm. to Puerto Rico. When I lived in Puerto Rico for about two and a half years, there were maybe moments here and there, but I was really trying to figure out who I was. Uh, I was hardcore into punk rock. Then I went through like a, a sports phase, very athletic. I ran triathlons in first place the whole nine. Mom and dad were always like encouraging me to be very physically athletic and whatnot. Soccer, football, baseball, I was really a star athlete. And when we got back from Puerto Rico, all the traumas I think of life start to set on you. And I was going to high school and for some reason, I don't really know, you know, you wish you could be able to read your own mind and go, here, here, everybody understand what uh, I went through. But I was reading my Bible pretty seriously in high school. And then I'd stop. And then I saw like girls, I wanted to understand girls and like, what am I missing out on? And I'm like this whole flesh thing. And I'm, it's like an alcoholic who goes to AA, but he's drunk. And you, you're like, what is going on? Like, and, it, and it's kind of a weird position to be in in between because I know the ideology of the world and the flesh and wickedness, and this is evil, and you should not love this life. Mm -hmm. You love this life, you're going to lose it kind of ideas that I'm hearing from Jesus. And I think the end is going to happen. That's a whole other thing we'll get into as preterism gets brought up is that I'm having dreams that the rapture happens. My wife's had dreams of you want to mention just briefly what happened in one of them? I will later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I? Mean, I it's bad. Can I take yeah. a break? When you turn, please keep the mic between you and the person you're addressing. Okay, so like if, this here. I yeah, love yeah. you. That's okay. perfect. Okay, he loves you. Did you hear that? <laughs> I do. And by the way, the cat. <laughs> I have very low him, standards. To be fair, that awesome. Is, that is Gregula, and he he carries the cat so much that I've thought about changing it from Rocket Man to Cat Man, like Cat Man Andy. <laughs> That'll work. No. Well, <laughs> we gotta put him down now. Sorry. No, you're good. Um. So yeah. So you're saying that she she was having dreams. You were having dreams about the rapture and. Yeah, it was so intense, and I I guarantee you, I was a pain in her butt. That to the point where she would have dreams that she got left and I got taken mm -hmm. because I was so about Jesus. I mean, it was for years. This is how it would be. But then I also would slip up, and I would be addicted to either opiates or go through a phase of life where it was that back and forth. I had an experience of both worlds. I was confused. So I'm back in North Carolina to get to the point. I want to know what it's like. I want to know what girls, I mean, naturally I'm inclined, but why am I looking at pornography? Mm -hmm. Here I am going through, um, going through puberty and I'm looking at pornography and I'm, I'm literally hating myself. Right. Like hating the very thing that is absolutely normal, that I made no decision whatsoever ever in my life to mm -hmm. have happen to me. And I'm hating who I am because I am serious about this thing we call sin. And I am beating myself up going, it's right. I should have plucked my dang eye out. Right. I should have cut my right hand off. 
Um, and for years, that depression and that experience uh, was was something I experienced. And I thought, this is this is just hell in my mind. And I'd go and I get laid on in hands, and all the people that were in the Trojans for Christ at the high school. There was a, a community before we would go and get preached to and listen to a message. And I'd get almost every other day, they'd have to pray for me. Mm-hmm. And I noticed none of them were getting prayed for. Like, they don't have this problem? What's going on? Am I the only guy who's looking at, you know, Pamela Anderson? What is, you know, what's happening here? <laughs> Honestly, though. Like, you no, know, that was like the highest selling sex tape. You were among millions of people looking at Pamela Anderson. Yeah. I'm just being honest. Right. Of course. Yeah. And it was. I really want to follow what the answer is. Mm-hmm. That's what it always came down to. I used to say in my head to God when I'd walk, whatever the truth is, I didn't know it might be that this isn't true. Mm-hmm. That's the scary part. Sure. Is I said, whatever the truth is, I want to know it, no matter what it is. Right. I want to try and live my life based on what I can know and and what is the facts. So, I'm struggling with this and I'm going to bonfires and I'm starting to drink and I first smoke, I'm skipping years as I'm telling you, like I'm smoking weed and maybe I got back on track with Jesus. And then I'd come back, I'd wrestle back and forth and wonder, am I God's child? Mm -hmm. Am I a child of God? And then in school, I almost flunked. I got her pregnant. I'm skipping so many things in terms no, I mean, of this. But you just keep talking and free think because I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and bring time me with wherever you, guys. you want. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But I met her in the midst of trying to have no strings attached relationships with girls and just enjoy the pleasure of relationships and fun. And I'm young and I'm like, you know what? This is fun. Right. And I thought I'd get her. I thought, I'm just going to have fun. She's hot. She's wearing this white skirt and, uh, you know, she's got my attention. And she's like, uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. I'm hmm. not easy. And I'm like, right. what? <laughs> so I'm chasing her. What? You're not easy? <laughs> I mean, you know, you get the point. I mean, nobody can yeah. see his wife is shaking her head. But she's like, just like, I can't believe he's saying this right now. But it's true. And I fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. I did. And uh, I was like, I was skipping way too much school in my senior year. I was smoking way too much pot. And I'm I'm visiting her and I'm yep. going, my parents think I'm going to school, but I'm not. And uh, I'm almost an adult. So I ended up going in and pulling myself out that last semester just so I could start the next semester, which is embarrassing. You got to go back and you look at all your peers that have already graduated and you're talking to those people that were below you. You know, you're in high school, you know how the thing, how it all works. And I'm Jesus freak. Okay. I'm reading the whole Bible. I read the whole book. I loved it when they'd send me to detention because I was two minutes late to a class because I could spend my time reading the Bible in detention and reread what I just read because sometimes you forget that passage. And I walked, I was there. Like my imagination kicked in so much. I was there when God made Adam and Eve. I was there when Elijah cries out and says, where's your God? Is he sitting on a stool? Is he, right. is he pooping? Is he on the toilet? Is he on vacation? <laughs> well, God, show them you're the true God. And I saw the fire come down from heaven and lick up the water. I was there and I like lived it through the text and I was so into it. And I'd bash everybody around me, not realizing I am really not normal in the way that I'm presenting this, but I'm just so passionate. And everyone else is probably going, in two minutes, the conversation of Jesus is going to come up. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. Jesus is going to come up. Yes. Yeah. So when you call yourself a Jesus freak, that's what you are. Legit. Right. And I know that if I spoke to myself today in the heat of my passion, 
I would not understand me mm-hmm. today. Right. I would hope I would try to be empathetic and say, how did you get to where you are? Right. So you whenever know? you were, so let's say that you start reading your Bible, were there any people that came into your life that, you know, maybe asked a question that sparked the interest or someone would say, hey, why don't you come to church with me or come to my Bible study? Were, were there people like that in your life that just got you reinterested? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm a young kid playing baseball and there's this guy named John. What grade would you say this is? I might have been, it might have been like around the time I'd gotten saved. <laughs> okay. Maybe a little after so this that. this is around 12. Yeah. And I'm okay. wearing a cup. I'm not a catcher. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, like, I'm shortstop or somewhere in there, second base, something like that. That's usually where I played, but uh, I'm catching, I don't know why, and the ball bounces. And you know what happens when it bounces underneath the cup? And I'm just, woof, and this guy's like, let me get you some ice. He ran all the way to the fire station to get me some and came back and showed this kindness. And I was like, what's up, man? And he's like, hey, uh, you know, let's become friends. I'll skip the whole, like there's a whole lot that just honestly would be rabbit trails unnecessarily in my memories here. But he ends up going to this house church. They're charismatic. They speak in tongues. They are KJV onlyist Mm -hmm. because that's the word of God, you know? Right. We all know that, duh, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else is true. And it's line upon line precept. Uh, People are going to, people that I know are going to hear this podcast and punch me right in the mouth. I mean, that's what I say. (laughs) Like, I go to a KGV only church and I love all these people, but right. I am of the same mindset. Like it's, I read all kinds of versions of the scripture. So, well, I didn't, but anyway, I didn't critically analyze like text, textus receptus and let's dive into this. Right. I'm a kid. Like what I'm being told is what I believe. Why? Mm-hmm. Cause I had a positive experience from it. And so we're in church and I'm loving the worship music. Cause that's like the number one thing everybody likes to feel is that relationship with Jesus and the worship. And, it's a woman pastor. Mm-hmm. That's already your, your KJV only church. Probably isn't a fan That's of right. that either. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's old school, you know. But she was a she was like a prophetic, and she used to tell us that the Lord told her that the end would happen before she died. Mm. And just so everybody knows, she's not around anymore. She got hit by a bus. Okay. Yeah. That's such a brave statement for anybody to make. The hubris yeah. of of the end of the world is timed around me is un- incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're I mean, Predators. David Koresh pulled it off. <laughs> right. Not only David Koresh, you know, there's... Jim Jones and all the other cult the leaders. The Millerites, if you go back, yeah. I mean, and that's... We're skipping ahead Yeah, into, but for those who don't know who the Millerites are, that's the Adventists of today. Right. right? Yeah. The Burned Over District in New York had some really fanatical, interesting movements that came out of it. And Mormonism is one of those, and mm-hmm. so is the Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh Days, the whole nine. And it's really a fascinating thing to study the history it was like of. A, it was like a crazy enlightenment period of lot, lots of like odd religions. Yeah. You know, it was like a it was like an odd religion enlightenment. <laughs> the Shakers, really, the whole yeah, nine. It was, wild. It was like, let's sit around and just feel it. And then someone started, <laughs> like literally there was all sorts of, but it's cool to understand in my opinion, because I think we humans, I don't think we fully get what, what we are. We're trying to figure things out. And um, anyway. So, so you, all right. So let's say you, you were talking to this fella. He was really kind to you, got you back into church. Now from this point on, from 12 all the way up till you said your senior year, you uh, you ended up holding yourself back and then going into the next. So you were a Jesus freak at that time. So from twelve to this point, did you remain that Jesus freak? No, there were moments. So it, you were doing the up and down. Absolutely, my and, whole life's been up and down. Sure, of course, yeah. So, but there something happened in your life, whether it was just clicked in your mind, or you read something in the scripture, or someone said something to you that you began 
to study the Bible hardcore? Like you really got into it around your junior or senior year? I, I would say, yeah, junior, senior year. And okay. I don't know the thing that they something said, did it, but something, you did it, something and did it, it may have been my own struggle and suffering. And it was like, whoa, I, could, I think I tried to quit smoking weed. And my wife was like, you need to stop. And when I did, I was so depressed and the anxiety was insane. And they go, you can't get addicted to it. Well, if you're an addictive personality like I am, and then you're doing it, you're escaping. I'm waking up and I'm going, I got to change my life. Mm-hmm. I know what'll fix it. Jesus. Right. And sure enough, I did. So I read the whole Bible from mm-hmm. Genesis to Revelation, and I was very passionate thinking, maybe one day, maybe my calling is to teach, and it is to actually have a church and be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this was a real thing for years I thought about, and then I'd go back and go, that can't be my calling, because I fell. Mm-hmm. Like, I fell, and I'm struggling. Like, how could someone like that do what I'm doing? I have, then, I have, I'm sorry. Oh, I, you're fine. I, have, I have a question. Uh, you talk a lot about studying and reading the Bible. Were you going to churches and also studying with other people and learning from other people, or were you doing just doing your own understanding? I think I definitely didn't just read and learn by myself. I'd, I'd go to the Christian bookstore, pick up books. I was learning from various online stuff. YouTube was still a thing at that time, or at least online programs. There were podcasts. But I'd go to the Christian bookstore, which I actually worked at it for a period, and I'd get the DVDs and try to learn things from different positions. And then you realize really quick, like, they don't agree with them. What right. the heck is going on? You start finding out. Like, So I wanted to go to the text. Yes. And as much as I could understand it, I did. And of course, if you're in, if you're you're relying on the Holy Spirit, right? So, and you don't need anyone to teach you. The Holy Spirit can do it. So, right? Am I wrong? I mean, you knew that in your mind. Like, is that? Am I right? I did you think that way? Did someone say I that to you? Know. Or what? I mean, I imagine that. Yes, I believe the Holy Spirit was everywhere because I thought demons were in everything. I thought my Pokemon cards. I had to burn them. Like I yeah. burnt my Pokemon cards. I burned my Mudvayne and Slipknot CDs because. They were evil. There was demons that controlled these people. The world is possessed by demons. The god of this air is Satan. Right. I mean, I took this stuff like that. So I imagine, I don't remember in my memory, like, that's what I thought. I just read the Bible as I went, and I'm sure along the way I'm picking up all sorts of stuff. I'm watching Benny Hinn to John MacArthur. I'm watching, like, you name it, and I'm just learning, and and whatever I'm going through, I'm reading, and I'm learning from different people, and— that one church was, I figured, a cult. After a while, you start realizing when they're trying to tell you not to go to other churches because they don't teach line upon line, precept upon precept. Mm -hmm. We do. We have the one. Right. And I used to fight with that. That was my first struggle with like, someone's trying to keep me from exploring. And I'd bring ideas from all these other areas pertaining to your question back. And she would like, no. And then they'd have this weird look on their face and they'd like almost want to correct me and they would. And I'd take it because she was gentle. This is like also foreshadowing my excommunication from the PCA for becoming a full preterist. <clears throat> Which I can't wait to get into here in a little bit. So I'm curious at this point. So when you met your wife, mm-hmm. so Ryan, were you a Christian at the time? Um, You know, I was a Christian as far as that's how I saw myself, maybe didn't live by the Christian ways, didn't necessarily go to church, you know, every Sunday, but I, I believed, you know, the the stories and, and, you know, I did at one time go to church. I was saved, you know, saved. Sure, right, of course. <laughs> so, you have the salvation experience and right. among believer, other believers and so Right, but I'm very, um, 
you know, mellow. I'm not, you know, I don't like to tell people that they're wrong just because I believe something. Because to me, in my heart, I knew, you know, man wrote the Bible Mm because they did. Mm -hmm. And we as, you know, selfish humans are going to, you know, put something in there that we, that benefits us, you know. Even if God was telling them what to write, I still felt that it wasn't 100% pure. Mm -hmm. Oh, we debated this for years. And I used to, is abusive. Mm -hmm. I used to try to force her to realize, no. And then like 10, 12 years later, we're driving down the car to the beach and I looked over and go, hey, guess what? And she's like, what? And I'm like, men wrote the Bible. And what I meant by that was, pro- was, was this is a human document. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like God did not write this. Now, people who are listening might disagree, might believe much more, but this is where I am. I'm going to lay it out there and you're asking for my position. You're asking for my thoughts. So I'm going to definitely lay it out I, there. I want just, you to be completely honest. Absolutely. I mean, Andy and I, uh, we've had many conversations in here in regard to that very thing about you know, and Tiziana brought it up in the last podcast, actually, we did on Notes from the Underground about how it's impossible for the human element not to get into these books. They obviously penned them. Thank you. And there's a possibility that four and five and six people actually wrote these, and it wasn't just a single author, or and it came out of rabbi schools. Like, there's a whole lot to this, you know? And so trying to say, all right, let's say that this is divine. How does divine get things to you? Well, we've, we've met people. I, you just mentioned, you know, this one woman that says, the end's going to come. Mm-hmm you know, and then I'm going to die or, you know, whatever people, (laughs) there's all kinds of people out there with their own like perception of what they think divine writing would be or divine nature would be. And everybody's so, we have 7 billion people on the planet and everybody has a different idea. I I just want to add the caveat as I always do when I mention this story, turning my head, don't worry, (laughs) is my wife looked at me and she went, are you kidding me? I told you that 12 years ago. <laughs> That's exactly what I was waiting for. I was like, I want oh, yeah. the response, please. Right. I and need the response. And that philosophy that the wife is always right really started to make sense. I was like, you know what? I need to listen to her more. And, also, and they never forget. Okay. <laughs> they never true. forget. Well, they never let you forget. Very true. Oh. But also, you know, going back on even what you were saying is everyone has different perspectives of what they're reading. Yes. So something that I read, I could, you know, interpret that differently than you. Mm. And so to me, when he's telling me that it means one thing and that's it, you know, it would bother me because how do you know? Right. How do you know that, you know? And so telling someone that what they believe to me is just not justifiable when there's so much division even within Christianity. Oh, yeah, it's endless. So many sects there are, and uh, I just <laughs> Pastor David Curtis had a mug when we were down there that it said, "It said, I can do all things through a text taken out of context." I love that mug. I wanted to steal it, but thou shalt not steal. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but, but in all reality, it's like it's so true. Like you're right, Ryan. If you if you are, let's say you're going through something yourself. Maybe you are like you're having a drug issue, or maybe um, you are looking at porn, or maybe whatever it might be. When you're reading that, you're pulling it through a filter. We're all pulling it through a filter of whatever our own lives are and our experiences. So when we read it, sometimes it gets a little messed up with our filters, right? Because mm. and we're all doing it. And then you have to think, well, what about the guys that were writing this? Like, was it filtering? You know, like you can read a Pauline letter 
and you can almost feel and know which one you really think was Paul. You, you, you know, you've read the Bible, yeah. so there's a couple of letters. It's like, man, that's definitely Paul. Like, I can feel him coming through mm-hmm. that. There's a flavor to it. But then when you read, you know, like I found out there's a third and fourth Corinthians, you know, and right. I'm like, well, which one's, where's where's the letter that was sent to Laodicea? And like, I want to read, and I'll read one, and I'm like, ah, that's just not Paul. It can't be. You know, and you get that. But these, my whole point is, is that when the men were writing these scriptures down, they absolutely got themselves into this work. Mm-hmm. And it was in their time when they were writing it in their time and what their world was. And so we always talk about it, like we're reading other people's mail when we read the Bible. Like you literally are reading a letter from this man to this group. It's an interesting division of, uh, of thought, because like— the idea that something written by a humor, a human, a humor, even if divinely inspired, is the perfect word of something else and not filtered to that human, it just that it just doesn't make any sense to me. But to some people, that just like that can be a thing. But it's like it's interesting how divorced those two worldviews are if you think about it. Like. That is a wildly different view of the universe. Yeah, and there is, I mean, honestly, the reason why, and this is just, in my opinion, this is my opinion. And one of the, in our intro, we always say this is opinion and speculation because we don't believe that everybody has it all together. We're all wrong and we're all right in some place, but... Except for her, but... She's always right. <laughs> yes. And my I wife's it. always right, too. And, yeah, he's right. And, and my it wife's sounds like right. I'm making a joke, but yeah. no. I mean, <laughs> no, but... but if you, whenever you get to the authority of the scriptures, when you have a belief system, if the the very scriptures that you're reading, if they don't have authority to you, then they can't truly shape you. And so these groups, you know, they they hone in on these specific scriptures, and that is their truth, and they all agree on that truth, and then they live within the confines of that truth, and they cannot break outside of it. So if we say all of the scripture is God breathed, like it says in Second Timothy, then all scriptures God breathed. But then if I ask the question, well, how do you know that Hebrews should have been in the scriptures? Or how do you, how do you know that that actually was scripture? Why was not the book of Enoch considered scripture? How come the church of Ethiopia have 88 books in their Bible and we only have 66? Like, so when you start getting into authority, you're saying only the 66, these are, and then you have groups that are like, oh, we have to unhinge the New Testament from the Old Testament, and so they're focusing on just this. There are churches that say, we don't believe anything that Paul says, we only believe what comes out of the Gospels and what the Jew, like like what Peter says, and like all of these groups are doing this, and it's based on what they consider to be the authoritative Word of God. Right. Am I wrong? No, you're... You could go on for probably three hours yeah, describing. You could this. go on for longer. It's, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and have. Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, let's get back to your testimony. Um, so you by the time you meet Ryan, you're you're in high school when you guys meet. Yes, okay. she was dating my brother. Okay. Ooh. Not, not at that time. I was not. No, but that's how I knew of her. <laughs> ah, they were in like seventh, sixth, seventh grade, something like that. Eighth grade. Yeah. yeah. So it gets spicy. <laughs> we don't have to get into the yeah, nitty gritty. It's it's the Lev Right marriage. It was for law. a week. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I guess my uh, I, I'm just trying to to understand the relationship because obviously Ryan, you're going through this with him when you guys get married, and you know you're whether you're Christian or not, you guys are you have a oneness as a married couple, and so you're living this life together and you're influencing one another, right? And so 
just based on some of the shows that I've watched, I'm like, this guy has really been down the, he's done the business here. Like he's really worked hard, like really trying to understand what the truth is. You're after the truth. And that's something that we are too. We're looking for it, you know? And so I know how much work you've done just in the little bit that I've seen, you know? And so I'm really fascinated by this. I want to see, okay, so at what age do you two get married? I was tell I want to tell them uh, that your mom had to sign you over. Don't worry, we're not cousins. Uh, <laughs> I was seventeen, and he was he had just turned nineteen. Okay. So because I wasn't eighteen, I did have to be signed over to yeah. him. But That's I right. got I got her pregnant. But I yeah. had our son when I was sixteen. Okay. So yeah, and he was. So 18. I was doing the what I believed was the right thing as a Christian, and that was to marry the woman that I had gotten pregnant. And I mean, this a little bit of this was anachronistic, you know, you kind of look yep. back and go, okay, you know what, let me do things, I'm going to adjust this and get it right. It was the best decision I ever made because I know I can trust her to the core. Sure. But it wasn't easy. Yeah. It wasn't easy. We've been through it. I thought you were going to say it was super easy. Well, I mean, just <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, There's a wife. That's true. That's true. That's but funny. yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough being a kid trying to raise kids and not even knowing how to live your own life. Sure. I mean, my, my mom and dad were 15 and 16 when I was born, you know, and so, and they're still married. Wow. Mm. Yep. They've been married how many years now? Gosh. How old is you? I, yeah. Well, I was born before they got married. <laughs> um, and so I guess 47 years. Wow. Yeah. Never had a fight. <laughs> I was about to say, That's what? A joke. Does you work on water? You ever, you ever meet one of those won. couples? You ever meet one of those couples is like, we don't fight? Nope. My wife and I have never had a fight. And that's the honest truth. We've wow. never had a fight. Yeah. No. Uh, how long have you been married? <laughs> Come not on, that bro. I'm, <laughs> not, that I'm, not that I'm hoping for a change in, in the weather, but. <laughs> There's a reason why we don't fight because we have previous marriages and we learned a lot from them. And so we've learned how to be patient. And I, I'm not, this is not a lie. Her mother even said this about us that we're just suited for one another. We have a, a lot of similarities and we support one another in the things that we want to do. And, you know, and this isn't about us, but just so you know, no. we don't fight because I don't, she doesn't aggravate me in any way. Like it's weird. And if I aggravate her, she doesn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I know one other couple they've been married in incredible like a long 20, 30, 40 years. I don't even know. And they they don't fight. They say they don't fight and they don't fight. And it's just like they're super nice people and I don't understand them. Sometimes, you know, I've had people say, Well, there's there must not very, very much passion in your marriage. And it's like, oh no, there's passion, I promise. But it's not it's not so passionate that I would ever try to talk down to her or try to demean her. Yeah. You know, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Let's get back to you guys. Do you guys fight all the time? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no. It depends. <laughs> no, so as so you guys, you know, are you're in your teenage years, you have a child. Uh, are you still a Jesus freak at this point at nineteen? Um I so he actually became back, you know, got back into religion when he was in high school because he was be about to be a father. Okay. I don't know if he forgot that part, but <laughs> that's when he started reading the Bible more. And I mean, that's a catalyst for change, of course. Yeah. yeah. You get serious, right? Yeah. About your job, about your life. He was your, very your serious. And then, um, you know, you try to talk about how cute the baby is and he'd bring up God. Like you couldn't talk about anything Oh, God, God did that. Yes. Everything is You know, praise God filtered. for, for the, the baby. Yeah. Um, but so it got so bad, we moved um, out on our own like six months after our son was born, right 
actually the day after we were married, we moved in. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, he started, um, I guess, try experimenting with like pills and things mm-hmm. like that. Sure. Um, so then he wasn't a Christian. You know, he was a Christian, but he didn't live that life. Of course. He was no longer about the Bible. Um, it all turned Right to this other, you know, mindset. Yeah, and that's. I think. Let's just be real. And by the way, I'm. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. I saw some of the work that you're doing. How you, you know, you, you're beyond that now. You've been clean for seven or eight years now, or so. Going you, on seven. Going on seven, and you help other people, which I think is remarkable. Thank that's, you. Yeah, and we've had a few people in here that have. Of overcome addiction, and that's like, and that's their life mission. Almost, you know, like work in rehab centers, and they do stuff like that. But I always appreciate because that's got to be incredibly tough. I, we we have people in our family that are addicted to meth and addicted to fentanyl, and it's terrifying. And they they just don't listen, and we don't know how to reach them, and it's awful. So, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that after the show. Okay. Eventually, you know, kind of get into that to see if there's anything that I can do. You know, outside of the Christian thing, you know, everybody says they need Jesus, and okay, fine, but you know, <laughs> sometimes you just need some help, like physical hand on hand, like yeah. hug and be there and feed and give. You know what I mean? Like, and, it's, and some who are already in active addiction don't want to feel guilty, and when you bring up God, that's immediately, immediately. how they feel and they shut down. Yeah, you know, so it's really hard to get to someone who's actively using. With religion, yeah. To be honest, yeah. Especially if they had a for, like, if their background was religion, and they've stepped away. So yeah, of course. Then they feel like the the biggest disappointment on the planet, you know. And I've seen that in their face. I mean, I've and I don't even a lot of times I don't even go there because I you kind of feel that way. You already know that that's how they're going to be when it comes to as soon as you mention God. <laughs> the the longer I sit in this chair, guys, I'm getting flatter and flatter as I go. So I'm going to take a little <laughs> moment to move. Yeah, that's what I did. I was like this. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm sliding <laughs> slouch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you guys They're are having a slouch off. Sorry, I had to get that in. Right. <laughs> so you guys are you're married, you have your child, you've moved out on your own, you've started to um get into using drugs and whatnot. So take me from that point to the present to the best of your ability in order as you can cuz I want to know like You've learned a lot of stuff between that point to now. And I, I just got to hear that story. Like how, like, okay, so you went into addiction or just, I'm going to shut up. You tell me. Yeah, uh, I will do my best because it could be more than one podcast going into everything. Um, and it wasn't just, oh, I was addicted until yada, sure. yada, yada. Sure. I have gotten clean, relapse, gotten clean, relapse. And then, you know, they say sometimes like relapse is a part of recovery. It's part of the process is that you have to fall. You learn from those stumblings to learn how to be able to get to a point where you don't have to do it anymore. Sure. Some people don't. It was years, years of agonizing, just going through it. So I was always a Christian. I still believed everything I believed, even when I went into those lapsed phases, but I was ashamed, so I didn't talk about them. I didn't want to bring them up. I wanted to put them as far away in my head as I possibly could while I would be in those phases of addiction. But then there would be these moments where we'd get drunk, and then the topic would come up somehow, and I'd remember. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, no, I need to get right. I need to get back. I need to." And sometimes those moments help me get back and get clean. 
I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous early on. My father was in Alcoholics Anonymous because he's a recovering alcoholic, like I said earlier. And I remember going in there and I'd be like, how do I turn this thing off? Like, where's the button that I could just press off? Okay, no more problems. And this some woman with wisdom in there was just laughing. Hi, my name's so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. And she says, there is no button. It's going to be hard. Yeah. And you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to figure it out. And I'd listen and then I'd listen to that and I'd go and I'd get addicted. I'd make, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, habit forming going to meetings. Yes. And I would like squeeze my Jesus in as I started getting clean. I started doing better. I started studying more because my mind isn't nodding out because I'm not on drugs or I'm not doing this or that. I'm able to get back into scripture or studying other things which were related to scripture. And I remember I'd squeeze Jesus in there. There was a man 2,000 years ago who died on behalf of, like, you know, this of little, course. but you can't be too forthcoming in AA because they they have certain models in which you, you don't want to push your religion because it's just a higher power of your own understanding. And my own understanding always peeked through. Well, my own understanding changes as time goes by, even within the Christian bubble. Mm-hmm. So I started to get clean. Uh, we're going to Calvary Chapel now. Oh, really? We started to okay. at, at the you time. Some. Well, I I imagine I did. There's well, you went to. He also was going to um, Carolina. What was it Carolina that's, Bible? School? That's after this. So we started going to Calvary Chapel, and the pastor there was a young guy, probably ten years older than me, and he was like preaching. And I remember him preaching from John, and I know my Bible, you know. And he's like, you know, and the Lord uh, was speaking to the Pharisees in the temple, and he says, "Tear down this temple." And I will rebuild it in three days. And uh, the Jews say among themselves that, well, we built this temple in 40 years. This is what he said, 40 years. And I'm like, it's 46. Like the text says 46 years. I know what this text says. And in my mind, I'm like, I know more than this pastor. Like like, I'm I'm into the Bible. Why did he misquote that? Maybe he's an accident, whatever. Anyway, I look up to him. So I go to him after, after church and I said, hey, how do I do what you're doing? How do I become a pastor. I felt like maybe I have enough knowledge and I can understand this, that I could teach people God's word. He said, you should go to Carolina Bible College down the street, which they changed the name to sound more sophisticated now. It's an evangelical college, Carolina College of Biblical Studies. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I went there and I was aiming to try and do something long-term and I had my wisdom teeth pulled out. Just to put it this way, I became a Calvinist because I became very theological minded and understood like how to start parsing into the text and looking at things in a way that I never did. Reading commentaries from, you name it, from mostly reformers. Was that co- was that college a Calvinist college? No. Oh, it was not. No. So you became a Calvinist in a Arminian college. In an Arminian college. And I would have debates <laughs> in the, we'd have debates in the little waiting area and all of the Arminians would come and I would just have my Romans nine ready to hammer them. You know what I mean? That's and it's right. like, bring it, you know, cause <laughs> it's pretty clear what Paul's saying. But even then Calvinists got that one wrong too, based mm-hmm. on where I'm at now and what I see here. Sure. Of course. Uh, anyway, there's so much, like I am willing to jab at myself. That's how I started to do. But I wasn't at the time. I would somewhat within the bubble of Christianity find a way to a new theology. I became a Calvinist. We had a Calvinist professor come in and teach history of something. I can't remember. And that was our our pastor, Andy Webb. 
Andy Webb is a current pastor of a PCA church in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which me and my beautiful wife were excommunicated from, but we're going to get to that, I guess. Yeah. Um, and he was someone I looked up to, and he knew what he was talking about. Smart, but he was a very down-to-earth guy, mm-hmm. and he was like someone I looked up to as a model. While I was there, I really got into this. I started attending the PCA church. I would have attended a Reformed Baptist church because I was more in the Baptist vein. I didn't get the whole, you know— sprinkling of baptism and infant baptism. It's like right. a carryover from Catholicism mm-hmm. that I didn't see in the text. Right. But they would have these, I, I would just follow suit in a way, kind of. Right. Um, but it, it ended up relapsing because I had my wisdom teeth pulled. About a year and a half in, we're living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time. I'm I'm back on pills. Is this up and down, up and down? I guarantee you I'm skipping some stuff here, but I'm trying to get through. I want to stop you there. So, Ryan, so he's going to Bible college, and it seems like he's found, like, where he's heading, right? Are you are you going along with him? Like, uh, Yeah, I just go along with it. <laughs> but, but are you, like, joining him in what he's believing, or are you just letting him do his thing and then waiting to see what's going to happen? I'm— um, I'm going with him, yes. you know, attending church. Um, I was not involved the way that he was. He changed so much, you know, to right. me. I just let him do his own thing, and I went. Right. And and that he'll get into that, I'm sure, more with with why that became an issue, too, within the church. Sure. So, yeah, I got—you I got, could say—I don't know if bullying's the term, but Christians would bully me on— to and fro with the wind, with every doctrine. You're just going, you're not, you have no foundation in, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, these people who were born a Baptist, you know, in the CBV, you know, community in their whole life, they were Baptist. They just happen to be born in the right place at the right time with the right community, with the right doctrine and the right theology. They got it. Yeah. But this guy who's actually trying to explore has no clue what he's talking about. And I'm thinking to myself, that's pretty arrogant. But I was arrogant with my theology at the time because I was sold that Calvinism made the most sense of everything. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're going to have Gary Neumar in here. He's a Calvinist as well. Yes, uh-huh. um, Calvinists are like one of the most solid. Uh, how do you put it? There's there's some. They're real confident. I mean, uh, James White. Look at how confident these people are. Sure. And uh, when have you ever I, met him? By the way. I have called into his show. I've never met him in person. No, yeah. I've actually tried to reach out to him recently. He doesn't put his email out there for anyone to just, you got to call or send a letter and I'm not sending letters. I'm going to try to fax him. That might be a way to do it. I want to have him come on to have a conversation about KJV onlyism. Yeah. This is what I do at Myth Vision. I don't stick to just, are you a skeptic? Okay, you're permitted to come on. Like, right. No, we do it all. Come on. I mean, I'm not afraid. I mean, like you said, what's the truth? Let's get it, you know? Yeah. Um. I like that you say in your podcast that you're willing to talk to Methodist or Muslims or or anybody, you're just Thank looking you. to get at the truth uh, for yourself and help other people get a little bit more knowledge. Thank you, I really yeah. appreciate that. And I also want to break that wall down sure. that I've learned that's there mm-hmm. within Christianity, outside of Christianity. I we're all human. Did you hear the purr? Gregula oh, was purring. No. <laughs> <laughs> Catman, Catman Andy back there with Gregula. So you. You're right. You're right where you are when when you're saying, I mean, I'm not judging one way or the other. I'm just saying I can see and understand where you're coming from, especially with the reed shaking like the wind, you know, which I've always hated that. Like, 
because Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and we're talking about John the Baptist. We're not talking about Rick Welch at the Baptist Church. You're just a reed shaking in the wind. It's like, well, I wasn't born with the Holy Ghost in the womb, pal, you know. But you're right. You know, that's, but you were right from your side. They were right from their side, technically, because everybody's right. Everybody's right in their own eyes. Isn't that what the judges said? (laughs) (laughs) And then Samson comes. You know? Yeah, we're doing a study on Samson, actually. I love love that story. That's such a good story. It is. It is a wild story. I never knew. Oh, it's so much fun. And there's a lot of, like, Game of Thrones should take some notes. I told yep, yep, you. Yep. We talk. I, I say it's so Game of Thronesy, man. King David is too. Uh, the whole oh, Bible. Oh my goodness! If yeah. you get into, oh, I won't even. There's I know. So much. If you re- like, this is a shameless plug. You really should go and watch. I mean, if I say something that offends you, screw me. Okay, just yeah. say screw that guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there, if if you go beyond that, you'll learn something. I have Christians that support me financially. Right. Christians who yeah. are like. You know what? I couldn't care less about your ontology, but I tell you what, I have never learned more about mm-hmm. things I would never hear from a pulpit right. on your podcast. They will not teach this stuff. Yeah, I think that's really why this podcast became a thing is because, you know, brick and mortar feels outdated these days. And it I don't want it to be because I understand, but the brick and mortar places that we have, and there's a reason why they're all dying out, and that's because they are these little microcosms of their own particular rightness. And if you break outside of that, then it's a problem. And you got excommunicated out of the, one of those brick and mortar rightness things, you know? And I have too. I've had my moments too, because I do stretch it a little bit. But, you know, if you try to ask a question, and it's a tough question, um, a lot of times it's frowned upon. And I think that's the wrong thing. You know, you've got to be able to ask all the questions and then be willing to change. That's the hardest part for a believer. Oh, forget truthfully. that in the church. Forget it's the hardest part for anybody. Forget that in a, a pastor change. I, I think that's the main reason I stay on this podcast. It's not that I believe or espouse all of the things that are said on here because, you know, I don't. But I'm still struggling and still trying to learn. And I'm getting at least someone telling me answers, whether it's an answer I believe in or not. I couldn't get the priests in the Catholic Church or the pastors and the non-denominational to answer some of the questions I had. Hey, I didn't find this in the Bible, or why is this, or what about this? And uh, you just have to have faith, my son. Well, I have faith. I probably have more faith than most of the people you have in here, but I still have questions. The questions are what I think at the end of the day most of us will always have. And that's something I'm learning. Like The more answers I get, the more I realize behind that answer there's actually a we don't know we don't know at the end of the day. Like it's well, nobody knows. I, exactly. None of us knows if anything that we're talking about is true. None of the Christians know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows if there is God or Jesus or hell or anything. We don't know for sure any of that, and we may never know. The biblical, even the biblical says, like Paul says, if for those that think they know, they know nothing. Right? Isn't that the truth? I mean, that's oh, absolutely. We know that to truth, even if it's not biblical. It's just the more you ask, the more questions. Crop up. Like I it's always true. say, read the Bible and ask questions. Just you know, ask questions for yourself, and 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 you know, I find well, there's a lot of things that I. Well, I wasn't asking the questions <laughs> that I think. If I'm reading your mind properly here, I, I don't. I wasn't asking the questions that I think you might be asking. But when I was at this point as a Calvinist in the college I was going to, it was I was willing to ask questions within being kosher. So as long as it was Christian, well, it it wasn't even necessarily like the PCA, like what is it kosher with the sect? It was, 
is this still God, Jesus, Bible? And Bible's my foundation. So as long as it's within those paradigms, I am not going outside of that. Mm-hmm. I was willing to go anywhere the Bible would let me. And right. that's what led me to become a Calvinist. That's what led me to realize that these Reformed Presbyterians were wrong. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's what led me to realize every Christian Orthodox denomination has Jesus wrong, and mm-hmm. I was still a Christian. Yeah, And I mean, during this period, I guess I'm just bumping us back to the point of the testimony to make it quicker, is I get excommunicated because I'm having Bible study with people in the PCA, and I'm showing them Don K. Preston argumentations, uh, David Curtis, you know, all of these people who are showing me the text. I'm looking at the you know, mellow, I'm looking at the Greek words, I'm finding the time statements, I'm seeing it and going, oh my goodness, how have I read the Bible this whole dang time and never noticed this? Like, it's there in every book, literally. I don't think there's a single book, but maybe Jude, but even Jude's kind of Enochian. Like He's quoting Enoch. Right, and even Enoch's apocalyptic. So, yeah. I'm going, okay, this, this, I got to reevaluate it. First time I heard Don K. Preston, I thought this guy's on drugs or nuts. That's what everyone who gets introduced to preterism <laughs> feels like. It's immediate. You're like, what are you talking about? You know, you must be smoking something, as people say. But it's right there. It's <laughs> I so thought it plain. was interesting when I first heard it. I'm like, because I've never heard it before you. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of it and I've heard the term differently, but some of the studies and the things that you go into. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, that's interesting. And the problem with me thinking something interesting is I, then I do what you do. Okay, I go look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look like now I'm addicted to reading about one thing. And I mean, look, I brought, I've, I studied you. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got five different printouts about you, and I've, I've delved into Robert Price before. Yep. Uh, uh, so I, I brought all my printouts and my lost books of the Bible. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> I'm here. Hey, I'm here for that, and I know that we're gonna get. Wherever you want to go, I'm game. But I I totally agree with you. In fact, I didn't think he was like like actually on drugs. I'm thinking, who's this crazy guy who said right. Jesus came back? What? You're right. No, I had dreams. But like everything was starting to go, do I even know that I exist? Like you start to question, do I exist? You know, you're like, what is this? And it was so interesting that I clicked the next video. I'm like, this is crazy. And I opened my Bible. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then I started to like really go, this guy's serious. This guy is not joking around. And I started going full preterism. I remember, I didn't know what it was. Years before full preterism was a thing that I listened to Don K. Preston. I'll never forget that. That was another experience. Right. I remember Gary Damar, mm-hmm. Kenneth Gentry, R.C. Sproul. Every one of these men were partial and they were at least getting a piece of the pie right, and they made sense, and it rang a bell in my head. And I read Gary DeMar's works. I read Kenneth Gentry's works. I got into their whole pre-70 AD revelation, which, by the way, I think is totally wrong, and mm-hmm. we'll get into that. Sure. I mean, like, there's so much that I was like, okay, and then I bumped into full preterism, and it was like, did I just make it? Like, I got to the Finally, end level. I made it. I made it. Yeah, I thought that I was- I beat the boss. <laughs> I beat the boss. That's no funny. more needing to like explore. I might not know these things, these little things, but I thought I had like it. So I want to interrupt you there. Please. Okay, so you went through this Calvinist thing. Um, you've been teaching uh, this Calvinism in the PCA and you are kicked out 
during that time before the preterism? No, I'm okay. a full preterist. You're, so you're teaching and you're talking about Calvinism and full preterism in the church. In the church. Well, that's why you get kicked you. out. Like, I oh, yeah. like, that's not hard. Did they at least try to have a conversation with you and try to convert you and find out what your stance was? Or did they say, no, this is not acceptable? Get if out. If you consider five elders sitting in front of you like they're judges and out. aiming at you and you telling you to listen— then no. Now, you just, you just said no. something. You were already kicked out? I was out? already um, discommunicated. Well, not, not by this moment, but it wasn't yes, was. soon after. You got an excommunicate. While I was you, still active? Before you, I was excommunicated. Can you come closer to the mic? Sorry. Before Derek got excommunicated, I was actually excommunicated from the church. Because Way before him. Bef- did it have to do with theology? No. No, it had to do with... Um, okay, so I was like the only woman of the church that worked for, you know, most of them were stay at home moms. They homeschooled their children. Um, they, you know, were the homemakers. Sure. And I was not, um, you know, you do not want me to homeschool my children. Trust me. Yeah. They the, need to be in school. If you want them to live, else. they've got to go somewhere else. Yeah. The pastor yeah, came learn. over. Well, we used to have arguments and want to do like church, uh, marriage counseling and things like that. We, just a struggle. Yeah, you're course. dealing with a drug addict like me. That's not easy. So the point is he'd come over and then he'd also be like, you know what? We're going to fix this marriage issue. We need to get her at home. We, you know, like, like a woman, like what oh, women Lord. are meant to do is be caretakers. Oh, it got. Put that this long is, dress on and everything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> For some reason. Too, yeah. they oh, they wore wow. head coverings in this <laughs> church. Could, they did not play around. This was a cult. This is Puritan. It's like an offspring. It's, yeah, that's Puritan. Puritanism. Absolutely. They, they did play pianos from, and we had to read hymns from the 1700s. That's all you read from when you're, when you're doing worship, which we were lucky that they did anything with a piano. Usually they'll just sing and do hymns and whatnot. It was so boring, but I was there for the doctrine and thought, this you is You guys right. should have been using a harpsichord. I'm surprised they didn't try to burn you at the stake. <laughs> well, they, the, the pastor came to the house and me and her had this fallout in front of him. It, he was involved and it was really, really bad. But before that fallout happened, um, they literally offered to pay our bills as a church to get her to quit her job. And one of the elders who sat in the committee against me while I was still active, it wasn't until a while after that they sent me excommunication letters, that one of the elders was her empl- employer, her dental boss. He was a dental den- dentist. Yeah, and so they wanted to get her to quit her job and be a stay-at-home mother to take care and raise of our kids, and, th- and that was what they wanted, and they wanted me to do what I do, become a pastor is what I was aiming to try and do. That same pastor is the one who, when I entered this Presbyterian church, I was a pre-mill dispensationalist in my eschatology. Mm-hmm. He said— yeah, that's that's not reformed. You really should look into some eschatology. Here's a book by name I can remember just the first name, Kim, A Case for Amillennialism. And I was like, okay, read the case for amillennialism. Guess what I became? An amillennialist. Because right. pre-mill dispensationalism was quite silly when I started to actually analyze and dive in. However, not to mention very new to the church, really. Yeah. Within 190 years. And so amillennialism was a lot longer than that, right? 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it taught me that language might not mean literally, right. right? You get that whole God is the God of a cattle on a thousand hills. What if there's a thousand and one hills? Those don't belong to him. Right. We just had that talk last <laughs> week. <laughs> right. And I'm like, hold on. So it's it's a cliche. It's like a saying. It's like a, it's, it's just, we're using a term to point out God is God. That's he right. rules it all, right? This is the point. I became a millennialist. And it did. I was in that for maybe two months before I saw partial preterism. Yeah, it was post-millennial pars- partial preterism. R.C. Sproul, yep. Kenneth Gentry, Gary Demar, and I knew. I was like, dude, these guys. Yeah, th- this is home. Like no, like it's evident. Look at the synoptic apocalypse: Mark thirteen, Matthew twenty-four, Luke twenty-one. It is all there. The temple. And why are they trying to reinterpret the word this generation, the Jews? It's right. like, what? what's going on here? So I was starting to find my way, and that's what led me. And his encouragement, you need to study last things. I know we like to study the last things last, but you really should study them. And I started studying them, and that was that's what sent me finally following myself into heresy. Mm. So— at this point, you were already excommunicated now at this, where he's at and he's about to be excommunicated. So were you following along with, with the, like, were you showing her the, the, the preterism and like, do you guys talk about theology at home? Um, I would hear him talking. That's literally all he did 24 <laughs> seven. When yeah. he was a Christian, when he was into preterism, when he was, you know, a Calvinist, he just literally spent all his time on the computer. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, you're, crazy like something's wrong with you. yeah it's it not be. hard it to be. do it's not hard he's to extreme do. he's like an extremist yes i very much like you in that regard did I that am. turn you off more yes oh, okay yes. okay because i know you said you you were christian you were saved and i didn't know if his actions turned you off more it, it just did. like ugh. Okay. yeah it pushes you to sort of um, enough is enough yeah, like you just don't even want to be associated with it at all. Yeah, okay. you hear a verse okay. and you're ready to punch somebody. Yeah, then I want my everything's husband. used I want against my you. Yeah. Um, yes. However, they see it fit, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just wasn't something that I cared anymore about at that point. Gotcha. Sure, that makes okay. sense. Yeah. And we're getting to a pivotal moment that's coming up. And yeah. it's, this is really reflecting on this. This is fun. I really appreciate this because. It's it's an interesting ride yeah. from here. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Let's get into it. So you are excommunicated because of your preterist beliefs, and you've been sharing it. Don't don't say that publicly. I did at Michael Miano's church at Blue Point Bible in New York, and uh, my pastor, my ex pastor Andy Webb, wrote me and said, "You lied. Your testimony is a lie. We excommunicated you for um, for not appearing, for absence, for not showing up. And let me tell you, this church, not only are they wearing the head coverings and doing this stuff legit based on reading Paul and things like that, because Paul talks about it. It's a shame for women to—Paul has some strange stuff going on. He thinks angels might actually like take women and rape them and find them beautiful, just like the sons of God in Genesis 6. He has this idea that you should cover your head— so that you're not going to be taken advantage of, it, and it would be a shame on your husband as well. Mm-hmm. That's skipping ahead. Those energy things. chakras that Teezy was talking about. <laughs> Remember the energy chakras from the top of the head. You got to cover that up. Yeah, you have to cover. That's right. Tin foil. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. But he he said it was the absence, and when I didn't come to church on a Sunday. The elders have shown up to my house and said, you do know that you're breaking the Sabbath. 
Ah. Sunday became the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You're breaking the Sabbath, and that's a sin, Derek. Mm. They would have us try to prepare our meals the day before, and they didn't want you to go and eat any fast food because you're causing another person to, to sin. To fail. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're failing. Because yeah. they're having to work to provide you food to eat on a Sunday. I mean, it was, it was like— I, I thought they said that you weren't keeping the Sabbath. Well, yeah, exactly, right? They called the Sunday they called Sunday Sabbath uh talk about replacement theology. Yes. And and Israel's not really in their eschatology cuz you are the Israel of God, right? So right. it's this whole bunch of stuff going on and she was along the ride. She's just been there. And she's always been the same like in terms of just being a home. Are your beliefs Ryan, are your beliefs the same as they were when you first met him? Yes. Yes. And how I, do you feel about how he believes now? I'm fine with it because, you know, like I said, I don't think that anybody truly knows the truth. And I don't think that anybody will ever know the truth. Um, and there's a reason for that. I don't know what it is, but there's a reason. And, you know, I'm, I accept more of where he's at today than I did before. Because at least now he's not judgmental. He's not pushing it on people. Um, it's not used against you, you know. He's freed he's by, more his own, open mind. by his own truth because he can see right. what, what he's been searching for this truth and he found this truth. So now he doesn't have to beat somebody up for it because he's not looking anymore. Exactly. That, that cliche, also, the truth will set you free, is true. I mean. And he's also, I think, free of guilt. And I think that helps also in his addiction. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I don't have a conscience. That just right. means like <laughs> unnecessary guilt guilt. There's a lot behind it, in my opinion. Hey, I'm Catholic. We've got that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you... So now you've got... Um, you, you've started getting into... Did you go to a preterist church, or how, what did you do? There was no preterist church. That's where right. We lived. It's a, it, there's very few around. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I wanted to. In fact, we searched. We did all that. I, that's why I went up to at least go give a speech in New York, and I had teeth work again. I relapsed when I went up. I was if you go on YouTube and type in Derek Lambert testimony, you find me giving my testimony at Michael Miano's church. Mm -hmm. I took Percocets just to go up there and give that and to tell the story. And the story is about uh it's about this two wicked men in the in the city. I mean, they are the worst wicked people in this entire city. And one of the brothers dies. And I try to use the analogy of me and my brother, Kurt. And I said, well, one of the brothers dies and that brother has a lot of money. He's scammed everybody in town. He's got all this money. So he goes to the local priest and he says, hey, listen, I will write however many zeros you want on this check. When we get to the eulogy, as long as you say that my brother was a saint, that's all that matters. And the priest thinks about it. He's like, Hand me the check, you know, give me this many zeros. The day comes, the priest stands up there and he says, this man that's standing before you, or in this coffin, sorry, right before you, he is the most debauched, horrible, wretched, wicked, ugly human being. He's ripped, scammed, done everyone in this city wrong, including me, but compared to his brother. He's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got a jokester. Yeah. I love I, it. It opened, it cracked the egg, it broke the ice, and I just gave my whole, what convinced me why full preterism made more sense. And the end was the first century where, mm -hmm. you know, I believed it was fulfilled. Right. And so, I don't even know where to go from that. <laughs> well, no, it's, so whenever you, you don't have a church to go to, you're left to your studies you're you're still probably picking up books or looking online. You're still you're still you have a never ending hunger for learning, and it's never going to be filled. 
right? That's I see that for you forever. I think that's just who you are. And that's who I am. I'm the same. Ask my wife. I mean, that's I'm exactly the same, you know. And but you've also had to overcome an addiction. And I think that's to me, that's the key to Derek. Like you had to learn how your brain works to become clean. And it wasn't going to take any amount of Jesus or any amount of anything. It's about learning who Derek actually is and what Derek's got to do to get clean. Am I wrong? Oh, it's like you read my mind. No, that's 100%. And as much as you go through pain in life and suffering and you think back, man, I really wish that didn't happen. I'm actually thankful that those setbacks allowed me to reevaluate Every doctrine I ever was in, every position I was ever in, I was gun ho. I was, I had an ego of truth. I was right. Put the blinders on. Blinders are on because I'm standing on God's word. And with that relapse, during that period when I was at Michael Miano's church, I was investigating stuff that wasn't kosher. Right. And I'm going to use the word kosher to say things that weren't in the Christian bubble that were permitted. When I used to watch the debates with, um, you name it, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, I would fast forward their parts to listen to William Lane Craig lay a spanking on them because in my mind, he always won. It was the Christian who won. And I would listen to John C. Lennox and you yeah, name it. Yeah, but didn't you just love Christopher Hitchens? No, no, not at the I time. I mean, no, but I, like, I'm, you know, I'm still a believer, but guys, when I listen to, to you know, God rest his soul, <laughs> he, would, he would not want to hear that. That dude was brutal. Mm-hmm. Like Christopher Hitchens got down to the baseline. Like he really did. He almost reminded me of like George Carlin. Yeah. Like the way that he looked at hell and the way that he looked at, you know, the God. anyway, if you ever listen to Christopher Hitchens, you know, he doesn't really win debates much because he gets very emotional. But he, when he first comes out in the very beginning, he makes a lot of great points and he hammered. Uh, what was the the uh, the famous Catholic woman that was in India, Mother Teresa? Like he hammered on her. He wrote a book about her. Like how terrible she was. Yeah, <laughs> it's like really. I've heard that. But you're you're right. So, and I think I've never really done that. Like I didn't fast forward to Christopher Hitchens' part. But I, you know, I'd always I would always want to hear, you know, what William Lane Craig said or Malcolm Muggeridge or whoever these people, Ravi Zacharias. You know, let's hear what they have to say. Of course, Ravi didn't turn out so good though, did right. he? He was one of my one of my main guys. RZIM. RZIM Ministries. Yeah. I order all his DVDs, his audios. I learned a lot from him yeah. over the years. But I will say, like, if I didn't fast forward it, I didn't really care for what he was saying. Sure. I was, I was like, we win anyway. You know, we're yeah. right. We're right. And I was always taught that from a kid that Jesus you can't tell me that it's not. Right. Have you not felt what I felt? Right. Have you not understood without any evidence technically? Yes. I knew. So all this argument, nah, nah, nah. But then it came a point when I struggled enough in life where my ego dropped enough where I was like, maybe I maybe I should look further into this, but I didn't give up. I was still on this journey. Yes. And then I'd get clean again. And then when I relapsed, when we came back from Washington State and I was on pills again, I couldn't afford the same pills. They're $80 a pill. They're called oxymorphone, mm-hmm. um, opanas. At the time, they they created them. They were crushable, and I would sniff them, and I'd get high, and then I'd nod for days. It started with just Vicodin and Percocets, then Oxycontin. Then they made those where you can't sniff them because so many overdoses happen. Then later on, you're getting to the stronger thing, and you're searching. And then one day, this one 
dope dealer said, hey, there's not much difference between what you're doing in heroin and heroin's way cheaper. And I'm like, heroin, no, I would never do that. But I was desperate, hurting in a withdrawal that was just agonizing. And he said, look, this tiny little piece, just this is all you need. And I remember just did a small little piece and I was panicking. My heart was beating fast because I was like, what is going to happen to me? You never know. And I started to feel the euphoria. And I went, they lied. Because mm -hmm. everything, you're going to die the first hit. Like they overemphasized the scariness of it that you almost think like, they lied. And it's a weird state of mind that you go into. It's hard to describe. Well, they didn't lie about the, its addictive properties. <laughs> That's true. But then a day came when I couldn't afford the amount to toot. And toot is sniffing. Um, and I ended up injecting. And then I was shooting up from then on out, hiding needles from her. And one day she found needles and I had track marks. And she thought maybe... I tried to lie and tell it was someone else's because we'd have people come over and they would do that, but I was only sniffing it and whatnot. But uh, she knew and she would go to bed crying each night thinking, is this the time he won't wake up? Mm -hmm. And I would lay there and I mean, you just imagine a complete nod and she'd tap me when I'm in like my hardest nod where I'm almost not breathing. And oftentimes when you're not in that hard, your body is literally, you're shutting down and-, and <gasps> You know, you'd have to kind of like when you're going to sleep at night and yeah. then you catch your breath sometimes. Like, I do it all the time. I do I jump and freak out. Yeah, right. I do it all the time. It's like that, but mm -hmm. you're not asleep. Right. So you're you're literally your lungs, everything, your immune everything's shutting down and, and slow slowing down. And I am dying mm -hmm. and I can't stop. And I want to, but I as soon as you're withdrawn, you don't want to. So there's two wolves, and I'm going, I need to, but I can't. And I'm literally thinking, I'm insane. Yeah. All these, there is something actually wrong with me. I am mentally, I'm, I'm a dead man. I'm stuck. She, she even thought, this is it. He's going to die. Yeah. Now, this is important in all of my story to point out because I'm going to die. And when you're about to die, you'd almost do anything to live. Mm -hmm. And that means the most deep, hardest convictions you've ever had inside they're about to be gone. I'm dead. Mm -hmm. So something isn't right. I can't get this world right. I don't know how to live. Right. How do I live? Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to reevaluate everything. Mm -hmm. So that's when I said, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And that I was did not- That was the first time really that you thought, okay. I mean, in the past you thought you were wrong and you learned something new. Mm -hmm. Right. And you would like when you went to Calvinism or partial preterism, then preterism, you know, you you were willing to accept the fact you just didn't have all the knowledge. Now you're saying maybe it's possible that I'm actually just wrong about this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't stop believing. I right. still believed. I, I back and forth. I don't know if it was just fear or if it was experience. There's okay. a combination of things yeah, I sure. think happening here. So what I ended up doing is I had a guy who was a preterist who actually used to work for Ken Ham. Oh, wow. Uh, can't give his name out because his mom's still alive. And he said if his mom found out that he didn't believe anymore, he really believed she would die. Oh, wow. Because yeah. she's so sensitive to this. And he said, hey, uh, he called me one day because I'm – you see how I call you? Like how I'm not – like I'm like, what's up, man? I'm not afraid to talk. Right. Like, I'm finding out people – you know, what's up? What's up, man? I'm a very people person. And he said, hey, um, I wanted to know if you'd be interested in learning something that might shock you, might blow your mind. For whatever reason, in our like five minutes in, I was like, 
I had a feeling that he didn't believe. I just felt like maybe this guy doesn't believe. And I had to ask him. And I said, dude, are you an atheist? I need to know. And and listen, I would tell him, like, I'm not going to judge you or I'm not going to think differently. But in my mind, I'm actually thinking I'm going to think differently. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that to make him think that. But I'm like thinking, I'm not going to listen to you. You're an atheist. Mm -hmm. Pigeonhole him. You know, that was my first response because of fear. Yeah. Because what he was about to say, you said, is going to change the game for you. I know all the stuff you're talking about with preterism, been there, done that. I'm going to tell you something that's beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, And you were scared you? it was going to make sense. Uh, exactly. Wow. And I'm already at this like sensitive area in my life where I'm able to be suggestive to things that make sense because I need to live. I need to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't working. So he starts to tell me, you know that God, Hercules... I always I thought about it. I was like, not really, actually. I've, I know of Hercules. I don't really know the story. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the trials. I don't really know what Hercules did. I've just been told he's like the strongest man in the Greek world. Well, you know that guy, Samson? Like, yeah. And he's like, you know, the strongest man in the world? Just like Hercules was the strongest man in the world? I'm like, he painted the most basic Kids illustrated examples in my head of like comparative religion. Mm -hmm. And I started going, is Samson the Hercules of Jews? (laughs) Do you remember us talking about that, Andy? We were like, he's he's the Hercules of the Jewish book. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. I started going like, okay, that's interesting. Then he started telling me more. And he started talking about virgin births Mm -hmm. and how it's not just Jesus that's born of virgin. How prevalent they are. Have been. Yeah, and even before Jesus, Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is like, where'd the playbook for this come from? Why did someone write about this? And why is it not in Mark? But there's so many things. We can get lost into the details here that are so much fun. Yeah. But he started comparing, and I started going to myself. I went, you know, he's an atheist. He's off the deep end. Screw that guy. Like, his mind is Mm -hmm. corrupt. (laughs) But this means because it made sense. We spoke for hours, day in and day out. I said, this means God is bigger. God is bigger than the Bible. Mm-hmm. God is bigger than Jesus. That may be in the six wise men of Hindustan poem I had come across, where it's like, mm-hmm. six wise men of Hindustan to learning much incline. They all went to see the elephant, but all of them were blind. That each by observation might satisfy the mind. And one went to fill the tusk and one went to fill this. And they, he said, it's like a fan. Oh no, it's like a rope. And at the end, they're yelling and arguing back and forth, these theologians and philosophers about the elephant. <laughs> and they're all partly in the right, but all were in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And I said, bingo, everyone's wrong. Everyone's wrong. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> it's per- it's yeah. perfect. Everyone has it wrong because we're human. Mm-hmm. But God is like that elephant in all cultures. And there's comparisons because- God is peeking through and he's touching the Indians in his own way with his own, you know, mm-hmm. culture and his own examples that have similarities. In Buddhism, for example, Buddha walked on water. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. There's tales of that hundreds of years before Jesus walks on water. And I went, when, why did I not know any of this? And Buddha, look how he's revered in Indonesia and all these places. He's a god. There's numbers started jumping out on me. Numbers started meaning things. Mm-hmm. There's 144,000 Israelites from the 12 tribes. And then is it interesting that on the sixth day, man is made in Genesis and 12 uh, 
sorry, six six days times 24 is 144 hours. Mm -hmm. So you start thinking, is this the new man, new creation and revelation? So I started comparing that and realizing, oh my gosh, did you know that in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the actual arc that was created, the dimensions calculate to Mm 144,000? So I went, whoa, what is going on here is God is showing up in every single one of these cultures. And I started thinking, maybe God is everything. Mm Mm-hmm pantheism started to make sense. Yeah. It wasn't the way the truth of life is exclusive and only through Jesus. That was a narrow view. Only Jews and only specific people at that time needed that message. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds you of Baha'ism in a way, right? but it, it wasn't Baha'ism. It was like, I'm on my own here and no man's going to get all the answers. No, it doesn't take long to see the similarities in Zoroastrianism. Like, I know exactly where you are because that's where I was long before I even became a Christian. Right. It's a it's a we we have a very similar story, but we're in reverse. Right. I, I didn't I didn't uh shoot heroin. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to. That's <laughs> I just well, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. Uh, I don't, no I don't, judgment for me. I mean at all whatsoever. I'm just but saying. don't start. <laughs> you're in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't come back into it. Keep your eye out. Yeah, babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch me. She's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's no. That's really. You're right, and we and we could like, Myth Vision podcast is dedicated to exactly what you're talking about right now. You're you're meeting with scholars now, right? You're you're meeting with you're asking all of these questions. You're trying to learn. You're sharing and. Uh, a lot of people are enjoying it because they don't get it anywhere else. They really don't. It's hard. We we bring up some really tough questions in this room, and we don't necessarily have all the right answers, but we're still seeking. You know, we really are. We're looking to answer the questions that all your pastors and priests won't tell you. Yeah, the Burroughs of Berea is dedicated to a study of the 66 books that we have that we focus on in America right now. You know, like the, those 66 books that the Americans pretty much have, not the Ethiopian church. Oh, yeah. We're always right, by the way. But, of course know. we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and But if you have, you know, uh, that that fervor in learning, you know, it always – if you're going to be closed-minded, then you're never really going to – it's hard to know – how to talk to another person if you're that close-minded. We just can't, you know? And I think that's really... How do you have a how do you, how do you have a discussion with, let's say, Christ someday, if, uh, if all you ever done is believed everything you ever heard and you never did any studying so you don't have any real, anything real to talk about? You're just espousing things that, you know, was written in a book instead of, hey, I have this question about this, or I have this question about this, or how did this happen, or how did this happen, or hey, let's discuss this, or hey, let's discuss this. You know, you just, he's just going to look at you and say, oh. Not just religiously, but how many people seem, seem to live like that? Mm-hmm. Really a good amount of people. Not, yeah. I don't know that think, it's the rule, but. I, I, think, I think most people of all religions are lazy. And they don't read or study anything, and they take everything that they've ever learned and think they know everything, and they haven't taken the time to read, because they're all told to read, but they don't. And, you know, I haven't been to a church yet for any length of time that preached on more than 20% of the Bible. Yeah. Maybe it's 30%, maybe it's 35 but they seem to go to the same books and talk about the same things over. You go to a Catholic church, and every five years, it's the same. You go to non-denominational and the Wesleyans, every three years. I mean, the, it's the same things. Not that they don't bring in things here or do some studies, but they don't talk about the rest of the Bible. 
Yeah, Tiziana said she only that she thought they only taught twelve and a half percent of the Bible, so therefore she was an atheist. <laughs> That's what Tizi says. That's just hilarious. That is. But I'm curious about so tell me where you are now. So we, we talked about the podcast. Now let let's say when with that moment, you know, let's talk about right as you the final time when you got clean. What's going on in your mind? Like how are you working through this? And when was this? This was uh, October the 20th, well, a few days before October the 25th of 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, I lied to my mom and said that the dope dealer loaned me some heroin um, and that I was going to, my house was going to get shot up, which meant he's going to shoot the family with her and my kids in it. You're desperate. You make up stuff because mom has money and I could try and get money out of her. I got $140 from mom to send me and my brother, we were both not right. So she trusted him and I'm like, yes, you know, like you're not right in your head. And we went to go get our final fix. We call it a fix, get high. And I got high and I remember, you know what, to get them off my back, I'm going to come back to you. Oh, heroin. I'm going to come back to you, baby. Don't worry. You know, in my head, I'm thinking that, um, I really didn't have any ultimate intention in my head, it's weird. There's she gave him. She gave him an ultimatum. I don't. They think took he the said keys that. to my truck. That, but I was like, here, like, give me money for heroin here. And then I went to this lady in recovery's house and started to withdraw. And I'm not going to go into every bit of detail because this story would go forever. But she came over, and I was trying to bribe her out of her medicine at the time, like because she was for regular pain, whereas mm -hmm. I legit. And uh, it's it's wild how I was. But long story short, I turned my phone off. And I always tell this story at the beginning in, in recovery rooms that something divine happened. And I went to plug my phone up and I said, I want this thing to wake up tomorrow and turn it on and it's fully charged and I can call somebody to bring me a bag or something out here in the country. Turn it off. I don't think I turned it off for months. You know how we typically just plug up our phones? Sure. I wake up the next morning and I go to turn it on and it won't turn on. And I tried. I even had the lady at the house in recovery trying to help me turn on my phone so that I can get dope and she has no clue about it. Well, through these four or five days, I am insane. I mean, it's so – if you've never done it, there's no way to explain it. But I am like, this is my skin. I'm an alien in a place I've – being born into like the matrix. You're unplugged and you're, you're waking up and you're like, oh my god, what is this? And I'm starting to have these like – I guess you'd say – coming to reality moments. And I remember my mom coming over. I probably mythologized this a bit because this is what we do as humans, by the way. We tell stories. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize that I would do this. There is truth to it. There's a foundation here. But mom came over. Dad was with her. And mom, whom is the most out of mom and dad who have hurt was mom. Same with dad. He hurt mom more than anybody too. And mom was like, I love you, son. And I'm like, I love you too, mom. I love you too. And mom looked at me, she says, no, no, I love you, son. And it started to get to me, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, cause it was like, I really screwed her over. Ryan was pissed the night before cause I was trying to take her medicine, you know, but she still came over. She still supported me. And it was almost reminding me of that John 20 passage where Jesus is like, do you love me, Peter? And it was like, feed my sheep. And mom was like saying to me, I love you. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't think you get it. Like, I really love you, son. Don't think any bad of what I've done. And I took it and I started crying a little bit. And then 
the lady said something pissed me off. I went in the room. And anyway, I'm getting clean and I'm looking for signs. Like things seem to be lining up. Like the universe seemed to be lining up for me. Things were working good for me. I thought I bought a pack of smokes from the gas station. And on the front page of the newspaper, there's this kid or an arm with, with heroin. And it says, epidemic in Fayetteville, North Carolina, heroin. The day I'm out of this lady's house, I'm at the gas station getting my marble menthol blacks. Never going to forget it. Then I go to look for a job. I'm working at this Jesus car wash. And then we go wash cars at this other company called HBC. And it's a solar panel company. The day I go back, one of those days, I can't remember exactly, but I told it like it was perfect. Like it was like, here's a gospel for you. And I saw on the front page of the newspaper, solar panels. And I was like, I applied for this job and I got the job and I became a supervisor. I moved my way up in the company and I believed in God from the beginning of that or something. I called it my higher power. I believed something was looking out for me Yeah, because I didn't believe it was me. Mm-hmm. And then I started coming across some interesting philosophy and some wild parables, if you want to call them, that really clicked. And I'll tell you one of them. So this is not written in any holy book, but God goes to make man and Satan overhears it, and he hears God say, I'm going to make you brilliant, passionate, driven, motivated, enthusiastic. You're going to be all the attributes that I am. I'm going to give that to you, to mankind. Satan hears this and is like, all right, before he makes man, I need to find somewhere I can hide God where man will never find him. I'll hide God beneath the mountains, under the rocks. And he thinks about it hard and he says, man will be ambitious, intelligent, motivated. He will unearth the rock. He will remove the dirt. He'll find God. I can't hide God there. I got it. I got it. I'll hide God beneath the oceans, under the water, under the sand. They'll never find him. And he thinks man's intelligent, passionate, driven, motivated. He'll create an apparatus. He'll find a way to sweep away the sand and discover God. I can't hide God there. So then he thinks long and hard and says, I got it. I'm going to hide God inside of every single person. And they're always going to be searching and looking for God and never stop to think for one moment that it's in them Mm. or that it's them. Mm. And so I started to go, that's the key. Finding myself was finding God Mm -hmm. and being comfortable with exactly who I am and knowing that I will make the right decisions to do better, to better myself, trusting myself and not hating my flesh and not trusting myself. Oh, wretched man that I am. Mm -hmm. My ideology started to change. I believed in who I was. I knew I was great Mm -hmm. and it started to happen. And then I went, wow, that is a radical different world than what I was taught by Paul. Mm-hmm. That is a radical different world than what the New Testament teaches. And I still love learning all of this stuff, but I went through a little phase where I started to realize, okay, I was wrong. Like there's stuff that makes better sense. And then I was willing to listen to scholars, but they were fringe. Yeah. And what I mean by fringe isn't just that Robert Price is considered fringe as a PhD. I'm talking about beyond him. Mm-hmm. The Romans created Christianity, uh, conspiracy theories and right. stuff like that. You know? Sure, yeah. I was like listening to this stuff and I started to peek into that and realize, hold on, there's people who've written against this because you know how I am. I, I got to find out if that's right. Once I think something makes sense, I got to find out if there's somebody who has a better thing that makes better sense. And I went to that. 
Mm-hmm. And so I ended up finally getting to a place where I was willing to listen to those people, those Richard Dawkins and those Christopher Hitchens. I was willing to listen to the atheist and the agnostic and the Christian academics. Mm-hmm. But I kind of had a bitterness for a while. I was like, this is this is just absolutely wrong. So when you hear an atheist, this is my advice. When you hear an atheist who's absolutely bitter, I don't I don't think they there there's ignorance involved as to why they're bitter, but they've probably been hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things that like they have to go through the phase. And hopefully they keep they don't quit. They keep educating themselves because then I think they'll better understand wh- like not to look at people who believe, not to judge the other side because you become a fundamentalist in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be that either. So I don't know where we want to go from here other than I started to also look at science. Mm-hmm. Science was so important. The natural world, because I started going, hold on, what is naturalism? Mm-hmm. Someone tried to tell me recently in a podcast, I did a re- review of uh, something that William Lane Craig just said. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. Mm-hmm. In that I said naturalism, mm-hmm. positing that natural phenomena and the order of things, nature is all that there is. I don't know if there's beyond that, but naturalism doesn't expect you to know that there is nothing beyond that. Naturalism mm-hmm. is positing that what I think is the case is that everything that is natural is. We're not positing supernatural or spiritual phenomena. To explain it. Now, why did I start thinking that was interesting was I started listening to books called Why We Believe in Gods by scientists who are psychologists and such, started going into what is consciousness and the brain, why do we believe in things, and I started realizing evolution, I didn't believe that, by the way, as a Christian, started realizing, oh my goodness, if you don't believe in evolution, give it a serious swing. Go and actually listen and and study and learn. I know it's a scary thing to consider, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to tell you what, when you start looking into it, what makes the most sense and using those models to understand why we believe, I started going, oh my gosh, our minds are something else. Like, and there's a lot into this that science started to explain to me that made better sense, that actually started to convince me, okay, getting into the visions of Jesus, mm-hmm. all of this plays a role. Mm-hmm. All of this plays a role as to why people, I believe real people, I'm not like mythicist anymore. I think a real man named Jesus really put a dent in the first century by a small group of people. Mm-hmm. And he stood up against they say, uh, who was the famous quote, the will of time, and it rolled back and crushed him. I think it was Schweitzer. Yeah, Albert Schweitzer. Yeah. And he says, Jesus stood up against the will of time and it crushed him. Mm-hmm. What did his believers do when he died? Oh, that was part of the plan all along. Mm-hmm. But I really think there's good evidence within the New Testament and comparing it and studying other cults that have apocalyptic ends when it doesn't happen or when something else happens that they didn't expect, we've seen this phenomena in our last century. What do they do? They don't die out. Mm -hmm. They don't stop believing. Right. It just becomes something different. Yeah. I just found out the other day that there's still some people that are heaven's gate. Yes. Still. You know, they missed missed the ship, (laughs) but they're still heaven's gate. It's weird. The second coming. It's so weird. Yeah, I mean, so can I ask you guys a couple of hard questions? Anything. Now, this is very personal, so please yeah. don't if you don't want to, but it's going to sound like a really harsh question. Ryan, why did you stay with Derek through all of that? 
Well, one, I'm very loyal um, and I saw his potential. I knew that if he could just find out who he was, Mm -hmm. he would be great. You know, he was a great father when he was present. Um, I did a lot of co-parenting mainly with me and his mom Mm -hmm. um, and I worked a lot. But, you know, when he did work, you know, doing landscaping, he was great at it. He's intelligent. He's smart. He's motivated. He just couldn't stay on track, you know, but... We also have kids together. Yeah. You know, we had everything that we had was together. We, you know, we're great friends, um, family already. You know, you you just stay sometimes because that's all, you know, in a way that's all you know. Yeah. But at the same time, you also know that it would be worth it if he could just get it together. Mm-hmm. And he was young, you know. Yeah. You're so a very, I, very fortunate man. Derek. Oh, oh, I know. I know. How, how many kids do you have? Three boys. Three boys. Okay. Yeah. Well, we would have had five. She had two miscarriages. Oh, okay. Mm. And so, thank God. Yeah. No, I mean, I. I mean, if you were to, thank God for those miscarriages. <laughs> that's an interesting question. I just wouldn't have five kids. That's all. Yeah. 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 Like, that's, that's it would have stopped at some point. Exactly. I'm just saying. You, you really didn't want five kids. Yeah, no, I got no, it. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you're very fortunate. You know, that you have that, which is awesome. Now, Ryan, where's your parents at? Were they involved or or, are they in your life? Uh, My mom is involved as, you know, she she struggles with alcohol as well. She is sober now Mm -hmm. within the past two years. She's gotten clean. Um, So she was involved but wasn't at the same time. She's not dependable, someone I could count on. Um, His mom was. His mom was very dependable, someone I counted on someone I trusted with my, you know, with my kids. So I leaned a lot on her. Um, my dad, my biological dad's not involved at all. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And do you think, all right, so I know some mothers that are dealing with children that are addicts and I have observed them. I have observed my own grandmother that has went to the ends of the earth for one of my family members and nothing will turn her. And there's a love there that's just, it's indescribable. And this is a grandchild. It's not just a child, but it's a grandchild. It's amazing to watch. And I've seen some mothers that have children that are addicts and it does not matter at any point for them. I can't say this for every addict's mom. I can just say for the ones that I've observed based on what you just said about your mother. When she said that she loved you, she really meant it. Mm -hmm. There was never going to be an end of that love for you from her. That's an amazing thing. Well, I know that would be the same for Ryan too. Like she's, I think that the reason why it's easy with my mom and just saying that is me and Ryan, we were young and we have clashed through the years. You know, there's been times, never abusive like that. Maybe verbally, you know, there's been times where it's been like that, but I was never, I was never like that. You know, it's just one of those things that I think she really loves me. Yes. She really does. And I love her too. Yeah. We had to find that out the hard way. Trust me. There's times where you think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. It's not. No. It's not. And you know what? Uh, I'm a very lucky man Mm -hmm. that it was her that I had a kid with. Yeah. You know? Sure. She stood by my side. And the interesting thing about where I'm at today now is that I don't care what she believes. She could become religious. I Like, actually practicing if she wanted i wouldn't yeah. feel offended at all that's I'd another even thing i appreciate her. about you you've said that yeah. about anybody if whatever is whatever they need to get through life you know right. to help them that you're all about it you're not going to judge people about 
that. And I right. get it. I think that's a sweet natured way of being. Um, so now I want to ask, I just want to ask a couple of questions just because I'm testing, I'm just testing your Bible knowledge because you yeah. know the Bible, right? I mean, I, I think I right. do. <laughs> you ready? Okay. All right, here we go. What does the word gospel mean? The good news. Okay. Do you think that Christianity is good news? I think that I ultimately, no, not mm-hmm. today, uh, to be blunt. I think it's good news when you believe you have a disease. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you have bought the idea that you are born into sin or you are a fallen creature, creature that needs salvation, yeah. of course it's good news. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, you know what I mean? if they like, give you the bad first, then they show you the way to the good. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah, it's a psychological maneuver. It's like reverse psychology, and it, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. It made me. It made me think of every infomercial ever, where they're like, somebody's trying to open a jar and they fall down a ladder <laughs> somehow. Look at me like, in this now chair we have right this now. Thing that opens jars. Yeah, look how I'm sitting in this chair. Do you sit and look like a fat lump in this <laughs> chair? Well, try the all new upright chair, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if they give you the bad so you can love the good, right? So the good news. Right. All right. So we call it the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of... It's literally saying it's the good news that came from Mark, the one who wrote this, right? And in Mark, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Genesis. Yeah. The Genesis. The Genesis. Yeah. yeah. Which to me always told me that was the first book. That was the first one. And they were all borrowing from Q. Let's just be real. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I or Matthew know. was stealing Mark, and we, yeah, I saw 100%, that. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. They call Matthew the fat Mark because ninety percent of Mark is in Matthew. And when you look carefully, what's really interesting while they copy, Matthew changes a lot, and mm-hmm. it's not like small things like I used to think as an apologist. What is Matthew says two women at the two, and then this one? Well, they just left one woman out. That's not a contradiction. There are so many, and if you're honest. Mm-hmm. You'll get it. If you're not, and it makes you happy, believe whatever you want. Yeah. That's my honest suggestion. I recommend, there are people who believe, like, there are people who are into comic books, right? They know it's fiction. They need it. They like it. They like, uh, which one is it, Marvel or is it DC? And and they know it's fiction, but they got to believe it. Well, if you have to believe that it's not fiction and it somehow makes you happier and it makes you a better human being, go for it. But if you're going to take the serious route, which is the hard route, which is the route that I ended up having to go down and realize the hard way, you're going to find out Mark is a human who does not have a Jesus on that level that we end up hearing in church history where we're like, oh, he's the Trinity or he's he's literally God. It's not high Christology. Not high Christology. Nope. Uh, Matthew definitely raises the Christology where he is powerful. Yeah. His family thinks he's crazy in Mark. Yes. Literally thinks he's nuts. What's wrong? They're trying to get him out of the public. Um, he gets God's spirit at the baptism in Mark, this is really interesting. I just learned this yesterday from James Tabor in the Greek. It says, you know, that part was like, this is my beloved son in whom I want please. You imagine in your head as Christians, we've always heard this. There's a group of people at the river and they saw this magical man just float. And then there's this dove that descends and this voice opens in heaven. And it says, no, what Mark, you got to take a book at a time. Yeah. If you're really going to be careful. You really do. Because the Greek says in Mark that God says, to Jesus, mm-hmm. you are my beloved son. It's almost like he whispers to him, you're my beloved son yeah. in whom I'm well pleased. No one heard it. It doesn't say that everyone heard it. In Matthew, 
it makes it everyone. Only Jesus knew it. That's why every time he turned around, we went, shh, don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody. But in Matthew, everybody knows. They know this whole secret. Mark, no. There's a scholar, uh, Dr. Rade from 1901. He published this. The secret um, Messiah, if you will, of Mark. Mm-hmm. Jesus hides his identity the whole time. When the demons go, hey, we know who you are. He goes, shh, don't tell anyone. Right. And he casts them out, gets them out of there. Everyone knows, and this is a real interesting take to get at this. In the Gospel of Mark, it starts off, he tells you the secret of the whole gospel right there. This is the genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Yep. Reader, it literally looks like a play. Here's the curtain. It's down. The text comes up. This is it. The play opens, and there's this river. Mm-hmm. And there's this man walking up to John the Baptist. Yep. And then it even goes in, and it goes, let the reader understand. Yep. There are moments where the author is writing at an omniscient angle. Like, how did the camera view get that speech of him in the desert being tempted by Satan? Yeah. Well, one could argue if you're so adamant of having to make this true. Well, when Jesus came back, he told the story about how Satan in the middle of the desert after 40 days of this and this that. That's possible. But when you look at literature and you compare it to other literature in the Greco-Roman world, that's special pleading. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do that for Hercules. You're not going to do that when Romulus, the Rome, the, the man of Rome who ends up ascending, in the gods take him to Mount Olympus. He ends up appearing to a, a Roman Roman procurator, I can't remember who he was, Corinius is the guy's name, and he appears to him. He says, the gods took me, it was my time. He appears to him like an eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. Now, none of us believe that Romulus actually appeared to this man, but he went around telling the Romans, and they believe that Romulus ascended to heaven. The same thing with Alexander the Great. The same thing when we keep going, Caesar Augustus, Julius Caesar, and there's a lot in the Gospels that is tackling that. Mm-hmm. The authors want you to believe Jesus is really the right guy. He is the son of God, not Caesar Augustus. That scene where Jesus says, hey, hand me one of those coins. When they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? They hand him a coin because notice he doesn't have one. He won't carry one of those coins. There's an image and an imprint on the coin. Mm-hmm. And he says, you see that image and you see that imprint? And what it probably said there's scholars who debate this. Some want to say it's a Latin coin. Latin was not the lingua franca. It was most likely a Greek coin, Greek, probably yeah. a denarius or something. On it, it would have had the picture of Tiberius, the current Caesar, and it would have said Caesar Sebastos Kaiser, which literally means Caesar worship God. He is to be worshiped. Yes. And this we know Christians were persecuted for this issue. So he is to be worshiped. And Jesus has the most profound, clever little statement, whether he actually said it or not. He says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, render unto God that which is God. He's telling you in that phrase, Caesar is not God. Mm-hmm. Because he's saying, give God what's God's, not Caesar. He ain't, And it's a little subtle, as John Dominic Crossan said to me, it's a little treason. It's mm-hmm. a whisper of treason where yep. he's saying, Jesus is going to, why do you think he was executed? I think he thought he was a king or they believed he would be. Mm-hmm. I do think this. I really think well, this. Well, and the ones that he's showing the coin, you know, of course, this is, this is the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. They're trying to trick him. But the interesting part is that when he says, okay, whose image and superscription is on this? So the question, the the secret question is, whose image and superscription is on you? Because you are made in his image. 
so now you give him his image, which is what he created on his own. Now you give God what is render unto God what is God's, which is you. Give your image to God. That yeah, you are, it could be. You are the image. Like yeah, I see that play. I mean, th- there's this gets into interpretation, right? And that's a po- that yeah, make a heck of a sermon. Yeah, uh, you know, you'll uh, learn really quick here, though. I'm the one yeah. that's right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's why he always yeah. puts you on his. On the that w- side, so he's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, always yeah. on your right. Uh, <laughs> no, we have you know, we're trying to convert people to Welchianism. We're working yeah. on it. No, but okay. So you've already said the gospel was the good news. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like good news. It's um, good news to those who believe it. Yeah, it's good news to those who think that they're going to be punished and judged by God mm-hmm. when they die. Right. But it's good news to people who think that they can't keep the law. For right. example, they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And though it's really good news, as Nietzsche talks about, to people who are poor, to people who didn't get good in this life, because it promises them something better. Mm-hmm. Oh, your treasures are in heaven. A mansion, you know, this whole thing is constantly trying to give you, don't worry, you're going to get it. And heaven is going to come down to earth. The mm-hmm. new Jerusalem is supposed to come down out of heaven. Yeah. Now, I know full preterists, I know how they interpret all of this. Yeah, of course. I get it. But when you read apocalyptic literature that isn't New Testament, and we're not being what I call special pleading, because remember, why did we become full preterist? Because we believe the text. Jesus said it, right? Mm-hmm. Let every man be a liar, Christ be true. Yeah. The words of Jesus. When you do that, you, you have to hurdle certain words, and those words have to mean something to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what the Greek poets, the philosophers, did when they read Zeus and they read Homer, the Iliad, the Odyssey. They read the Aeneid. They read these stories of Zeus literally coming down out of heaven and raping women and children, boys, Mm -hmm. literally raping them. And the poets couldn't – they went, it doesn't mean that. So (laughs) our God did not do that. So what it meant was – and you you see where I'm going. Everything meant something else. Mm -hmm. And of course, the full preterist justification is this is poetic, apocalyptic literature. Look at your Hebrew Bible. See what happened to Babylon? The sun, moon, and the stars, the whole night. That's not literal. Mm-hmm. Why would you, Mr. Christian, think that the literal end and the second coming and the resurrection is literal? Mm-hmm. Look, Ezekiel's bones, we know that's the resurrection of Israel. And what you have to do is you have to pretend if that is true, by the way, that's actually debated. Yeah, There are books called Why Prophecy Failed where the scholar goes in to show you that there were Jews who believed that that back then when Babylon and all this, that God was going to have the end happen and Israel was going to reign then, and it didn't happen. So they kept setting the date further. Jeremiah said 70 years. Daniel says 70 times 7. It's 490. The the date keeps changing because, well— It fails. Every time it fails, it keeps getting pushed off into the future. Mm -hmm. Now we get to the New Testament. And we're supposed to believe, which full preterists probably aren't aware of this. Don K. Preston seems to know a little bit about this since he spoke about Schweitzer. He spoke about these other Strauss. He knows some of these academics. But what he doesn't, I don't think, pay attention to, which he actually contacted me when I did an episode recently with John J. Collins. John J. Collins is like 50-year apocalyptic monster. Yeah. This guy knows every text of apocalyptic thinking you can imagine. He is the head of the Dead Sea Scrolls Commission right now in terms of what he knows his stuff. And right. Don K. Preston wrote me, he goes, you guys were making fun of me in this episode and, and mocking some of the things I said about the end because all I did in the episode was ask him what words mean. 
because I know what full preterists do with words. And mm -hmm. I said, what's this word mean, Dr. Collins, when it says this in this passage? Mm -hmm. Could it mean this? And I gave him the full preterist interpretation. He goes, no. Are you ignoring all of the other literature around your New Testament to come to that conclusion? Oh, yeah, you are, aren't you? Mm -hmm. See, this is the problem when you start looking at it. And then I went, oh my gosh. Full preterism, I always have a slogan here, is saving the savior. This is what I honestly believe full preterism is today. We are wanting to let the words of Christ be true. And we are trying to save the savior. Mm -hmm. So his words are true. The church is wrong. But when you do that, you try to force words and cognitive dissonance sets in. So words don't mean death. No more death. Come on. We know what that means. It doesn't mean death. Tears don't mean tears. None of this stuff means what it means mm -hmm. anymore. But every other book contemporaneous written in the first century BC all the way to the third century AD in Jewish literature, actually second century BC, because the Dead Sea Scrolls has all this literature. Habakkuk Pesher in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they predicted the Daniel date came to their day and their teacher of righteousness was a guy. Boom, failed. Mm. They still held on and they believed that he was going to come back at some point. Now it's not identical to what we see in Jesus, but we right. talked about Enoch earlier. And Enoch, Enoch was seated at the right hand of God. He was the son of man. He was the son of man. Well, yeah. Jesus says he is in the New Testament. And how are those Ethiopian churches holding this one? Uh, no wonder everybody said, uh, let's put that book Just so you know, side. guys, that's why we're only using the 66. Was Enoch? <laughs> <laughs> we're only using the 66 books because we can't go that far. <laughs> I got a few more over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, there's so much fun stuff. But when you look at that and you study it and you realize, okay, what, what makes the most sense? What actually happened? Mm -hmm. Well, what makes the most sense? to you and what makes the most sense to me is almost always going to be different. It is. That's why I go to the experts because I don't pretend to know Greek. I don't pretend to know what's going on oh, in these that's, texts. That's why I love Dr. Melissa Cook because she looks at the, the, the real language. Right. And now I'm going through all of the mainstream scholars here right now in, in all this apocalypticism and every single one, including the Christians say that it failed. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why are Christian scholars, they believe in Jesus. Now, yeah. I don't know why, because I'm a fundamentalist at heart, technically, because if it failed, and he's a failed prophet in that sense, and he got things wrong, why do I believe in him? Mm -hmm. This is an honest question. I ask them all the time when I'm off record, because I don't embarrass or try to be disrespectful. And they say, Derek, I like the message. I like the, tr the tradition, and I, 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 I just choose to. And I'm like, I respect that. Yeah. That's fine. But it's not, they said, I would never try to act like I can prove it or like this is true. Like I can actually show you that this is the case. And all of them, Del C. Allison Jr. is one of my favorite right now that I've been studying. And he's a Christian. He said in 1970 something, he had an experience. Del C. Allison? I don't think I've ever heard of him. Del C. Allison Jr. He's one of, he's actually one of the world's number one theologians right now in New Testament studies. Wow. Okay. And he's like N.T. Wright learns from oh. him. Like all of these people. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I go to the top. I don't play around because I want the best of the best sure. to give me what they have. And they don't agree on a lot. Mm -hmm. But if there's one thing they do, they know the apocalypticism of Paul in the New Testament didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And when I was a full preterist, I didn't know any of this stuff. Like I didn't know any of the academic stuff. Right. The text seemed to appear. Paul says that the gospel has been preached to all creation. He does. All creation. One Colossians, what is it? 13 or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's the other passages that the gospel had been preached to all nations. Yep. 
And we find a way to go, see, when we see Matthew 24, that that's one of the things that has to happen Mm -hmm. for the end to take place. And so we find it and we go, everything is right at the cusp of the end. It's right there. It happened though. It happened, didn't it? And then you realize what the scholars are saying is, this is exactly what Daniel was doing. They're right at the cusp of the end and it's right there. In fact, any of the academics that you go to that aren't like... Um, I guess you'd say harmonizers, they call them, or mm-hmm. people who are apologists trying to argue for for the date of Daniel to be in the 6th century BC. Most of them say it was written in the 2nd century BC during um, Antiochus Epiphanes, right. which it clearly is talking about how the temple and the abomination of desolation and all that stuff's right there in Daniel. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you just real quick. Uh, Andy, do you remember we had a, do you remember when we've had conversations in the past and I've said, Either these guys were experiencing all of these things and then going right and then writing about it after the fact and then showing it as prophetic and perfection. Do you remember me telling you that? I, I don't actually. Yeah, yeah. We say a lot of things on here, yeah, don't we? But what I told him is like, <laughs> these guys either A, this is so awesome that these prophets were so perfect, or it happened after the fact and they wrote it back. Right. You know, because they'll say, you know, one of the things that preterists do is in the argument, which I don't really hold to and don't really care, but that every letter has to be written prior to 70. And they're like, well, it doesn't mention the destruction of the temple. That was their central focus. That was their world. Why would they have not mentioned it? It's like, well, because they're cheating. You know, like that wasn't Paul's. That's another thing I discovered. I didn't realize Paul was not concerned. He's a diaspora Hellenistic Jew. Mm -hmm. He's from Damascus. He's out here, not even near Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. He's only commissioning with them after persecuting these Christians yeah. and becomes one. And no, notice in Acts 17, I go to, you ever heard of those Israel only guys? Is everyone in here full preterist? I need to know. No, okay. no, I'm the only one. Okay. So you're a futurist. Technically what we call futurist, right? It's it's the idea that one day, or, <laughs> yeah, or you I, don't know I, where no, you are. I, 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 I know knows. what you're saying. I'm just not saying it out loud. I'm okay, the, okay, okay. I'm, I'm the just only full to, preterist in the room. Only full preterist. Yeah. Okay. I don't wow. count. He's the atheist. He's okay, not, okay. Technically, Andy, you're not in the room. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you're on the other Look side of there. the glass. Okay, so then <laughs> let me, where, what was I even saying that, that threw me off? I think you were trying to destroy my life. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Acts 17. Yeah. Acts 17. <laughs> Remember the famous part where, where Paul goes and acts and he's in uh, Athens. He's at the Arapagus, if you call it that, or yep. the Arapagus, however you want to pronounce it. And there's these non-Jews. Mm-hmm. And there, he's preaching this message, and he's like, "Look, from one nation, from one man, all the nations of the earth." He starts to give this universal, universal from Adam on type message. Then he talks about the judgment that is soon to come. Mm-hmm. He's in Athens talking to non-Jews. Yeah. What judgment of the temple in seventy A.D. A thousand miles away from where he's at? Mm-hmm. They're not going to the temple. What judgment was Paul talking about? Mm-hmm. I had to ask this question seriously because it cannot be the temple in 70 that is the final, final judgment. Paul is warning people all throughout the Roman Empire. He's trying to make it to Spain. He tells them in Romans, he's like, I'm trying to get out there to Spain. And he's never even met the Roman church in that letter. And there are clear reasons to think he thinks beyond just 70 AD, this small thing. Mm-hmm. He is hoping that all creation is transformed. And when he says creation, I know what the covenant creationists teach because I was close to all the covenant creationists too. I was one for a couple of years. And um, Jeff Vaughn and Tim Martin and and these full preterists that came and tried to say Genesis is not literal creation. 
It's not talking about actual physical creation, what we're talking about here. I'm not saying Genesis is, isn't, I'm not saying it's ex nihilo out of nothing, but mm-hmm. it's, I, I think that it is talking about actual creation. The point is, that's a whole different rabbit trail within preterism. If you ever want to go into it, you can explore it. It gets real weird. But mm-hmm. new creation, new heavens and new earth? Come on. Are we really living in the new heavens and new earth? Christians will say, of course not. Full preterists will say, of course we are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hmm, that's really weird. Did Paul think that this, did he really think the new heavens and new earth was just going to be God actually killing and destroying his own people in the temple? What did they get out of it? Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, if that's all it was, countless prophecies in the Old Testament have failed. I mean, outright Zechariah 14, you cannot pretend like Israel the people of God, his chosen people, would not end up at least ruling their own land that God promised them. Mm-hmm. I had always, you know what I mean? yeah. I mean, now I'm not getting into. We're not going to get into a debate in regard to this, but I'm just going to say, you win. Remember, you're right. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm saying we're not debating. Rick's right. We're not actually. There debating. isn't a debate. Well, just remember, yeah. revisionist podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, and he's my editor, and so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Any, anything you say that proves him wrong can disappear. It's fine. No. I'm rubber, you're glue. No, <laughs> um, no I, I guess from 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 my perspective, it is there are some things that are just beyond me that I'm still you know I'm still seeking out. If you think about it, because I haven't been a preterist for very long, I'm just now you know you discover it. You know, so I'm probably where you were five years ago or whenever it was that you started digging and you're like, oh my gosh, there it is, right? And I see it for what it is. And but I have I know where you're talking about in Acts 17. It's not very long after that that we hear about the Bereans, the boroughs of Berea, exactly. right? That's what we're about. It's because we're going back to study the scriptures, you know. In in my personal where I am at right now in my life is that I believe that there are scriptures that are valid. I don't know which ones they are. I feel like I'm not going to look at you and say all 66 books of the Holy Bible are perfect and exactly where they are, but those are the books that were given to me. And if we talk about God or Jesus or whatever, that's where we're learning about him is through these texts that were written and handed down. Whether it was second century, third century, fourth, whatever it was, mm-hmm. we have an entire world, millions of people that believe in this, and they all comes from this book. Correct. Billions, Billions. literally 2 billion people, which is why I'm fascinated still, because I'm like, I know what it's like. Yeah, so if if you take—so now we have this book, okay? And the God, or Yahweh, or YHVH, or whatever you want to—whatever the Tetragrammaton, yeah, Yehovah, that's the way Nehemiah Gordon says it. You—if you want to know who that God is, then you're going to find it within the pages. See, she's still being my wife. She's helping me out. Yeah. There's a bug on you. Oh, is there still? Yeah. It's like a little mosquito. Yeah. yeah. It's wanting to suck the blood of Jesus out of it. <laughs> it's, it's like the golden corral in here for him. It's just a buffet. Yeah. I was trying to be discreet. I kind of look like the chocolate fountain. So, man, that was like a really long callback. That was a super good callback. Yeah, that was, you were good, man. That was good. I like him. <laughs> He's good. Yeah. So, because I, because I know this, And we know that we have a lot of the Gnostic Gospels. We know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were so many other books that were found. And um, I believe that through time that we've been able to learn more about the cultures of like the first and second century, you know, and to me, I've always just been, okay, if I'm going to know 
who Jesus Christ is or who Yeshua is or however, whatever, however you want to say his name. Not I'm going to have to say it. Huh? Not supposed to you say, can say Yahweh. Jesus name. No, I'm just saying Yahweh when you were talking well, earlier. Well, Hashem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hashem. That's, that's what they that's do. That's what said. Yeah, right? Yeah, the name. Yeah. But if we have, if we're going to learn anything about Jesus, then it's going to come from these texts. Yeah. That's where they come from. And so what we've decided in, as this group is that we're going to study these texts to the best of our ability. We're going to learn what they say. We're going to try to understand what we believe. A lot of times we believe things we don't know why. And so we're trying to unpack the things that we have learned and relearn just from, from what the text says. But then if you then as you grow and you start saying, oh man, what if these texts aren't... Oh. It, it, be, it can be very frustrating, and it can kill the spirit of a person. It just will. Yeah. Well, and we have to remember, too, and, and I think we do this a lot, is, is, and this goes back to what you said, too, Ryan, you know, written by humans, written by man. And, you know, you take, uh, they say, well, Shakespeare didn't write all this. Well, I don't care if he wrote it or not. I think he was smart enough to take what everybody else was writing and put something down that people could put on a play, and it means something to people. Mm-hmm. And we were, we've we talked about who wrote this book and who wrote that book. I think there were some followers of a lot of these guys that wrote these books that have their name on them that they didn't write everything. They had other people writing things down. So you've got four of your guys writing all these things that you're saying, and then it gets put into one, and maybe one guy sits down and takes those four people and puts it into one. And because of the way translation fits, this word, this guy was thinking this guy meant, but he wrote it this way, and it meant this, and then we translated it into something else. So there, we could we could have and gotten so, that, that wrong along the way. Yeah. It, and- it gets even more complicated than that because you're right – um, oral traditions can cause us to maybe, uh, you know, you've heard the elephant in the room thing or the, the, the phone call thing where they tell you a word by the right. time it gets to the end, it's not even the same word. Um, but there are clear, purposeful changes by one author to another. When mm-hmm. you look at it, you go, he did that on purpose. He changed Mark. Like he has everything verbatim about Mark and then he does this on purpose. And it's it's in contradiction to something maybe Mark is saying. Matthew doesn't like the apostles looking dumb. Right. In Mark, You're right. No, he- they are what I call the dim-witted disciples. Mm-hmm. They don't get it. They're knuckleheads. They never get it, even to the very end. When the yeah. curtain closes and the women are at the tomb and the man says, go and tell them, he said to meet them in Galilee, the women went and told no one for they were afraid. Mm-hmm. That is the actual ending of Mark. Now, there have been eight different tack-ons that have been added by different church fathers throughout time to to try and make up for that, really, what the heck is this ending? And we have very good reason to say that ending was the ending, and they went and told no one. Matthew doesn't like that. Matthew makes sure they understand it, they get it, and at the end, oh yeah, they meet him in Galilee, they're on the mountain. There's some weird stuff there too, because in Matthew 27, I think it's 27 or 28, 27, right after the zombie apocalypse and all that stuff happens. Right. Um, which And what happened to those guys? This plays into preterism. Mm-hmm. I am convinced that Matthew believes the end is happening so much that he has put this into the text. Mm-hmm. There's no historical it's reason. It's a physical resurrection. They are walking around. It is a zombie, like, resurrection. Technically a lich, but go on. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, even Michael Lacona, Christian apologist, who's a New Testament scholar, he got fired from his job because he had to hmm, fix this problem. Mm. He looked at it and went, that didn't happen. 
that didn't happen. So it must mean, here we go again. And he started interpreting, it's an allegory for the saints and their spirits or with Christ. Or like it, he started to find ways to kind of- Allegories don't walk, bro. But this is the point. I think this is the point of Matthew really w believes the end is near. Yeah. So much that a resurrection <laughs> is starting here. Why is it's, this mosquito coming up to the fat guy? I, I got to get rid of it. It's driving me crazy. I can't even pay attention to what Derek's saying. Gosh. Where? Now it's up here. Smack it. Please. She's not going to hit you. Yeah. Gosh. I'm so sorry. No, so no, Matt, no. So Matthew said Matthew. That is a symbol of to, yeah. the apocalypse that he is believing that because Jews did not believe a single individual was going to rise from the dead. They believed the general resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits, Paul likes to say in yeah. 1 Corinthians 15. And then others will follow suit. He says in 1 Thessalonians, where he says, we who are alive and remain at his coming will be transformed. Mm -hmm. You're going to have Ed Stevens come. Ed yes. Stevens is not only a full preterist, he's a very unique individual body view, IBV, yep. and he believes that the rapture actually happened, that the saints were actually taken in the, first century. In the mountains. Flee to the mountains, yep. don't go back. They went, went God to took them up. And flew up. Yep. In, an, in a spaceship. No, yep. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but seriously, he believes yeah. that that literally happened. Well, there's no documentation of that actually happening, but mm -hmm. the point is he believes it because he sees the problem. Well, they used Josephus. They used Josephus, what they saw in the sky. They saw the chariots. And That's, then they also hear, let's get thee from hence from the Holy of Holies. So, of course, there is quote, some documentation that's a stretch, but that's where they get it from, I think. Part yeah, of it, part that's, of it. that's another problem because mm -hmm. they're making it a Jesus thing. Well, it— they're, The full preterists are going to Josephus yes. to make Josephus make Christ fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And Josephus is a Jew— He's that's not right. a Christian. He's not paid a Christ. For, he was a Jew paid by the Romans. He was. Yeah. He was, he, a, was. he was a Jewish general that was captured and then paid, you know, he was educated, so they made him a historian to write the accounts, and they paid him to do it. So he was, he worked for Rome. He did. But the whole point is that the temple, right, that God's leaving the temple and stuff like that, and there's armies in the clouds, Josephus mm -hmm. talks about, they use that as evidence to say, ha, you know, Jesus said, you'll be seeing me coming on the clouds Well, but he's heaven. not the only one that did it. I mean, Tacitus and Yosepon, and there were other people that wrote about the same event. Oh, I agree. I'm just saying that event is a Jewish concept. It doesn't require saying Jesus is the guy who did that. No, it's, no. A UFOologist loved that story too, by the way, because <laughs> right. it sounds like it's not, it wasn't chariots, man. Like th these were like otherworldly beings that were coming down and. Well, anytime cataclysmic things like that would happen, you would imagine that they would see these types of things or have omens. Full moons come, oh my gosh, this means something's going to happen. Or a star, if you saw a comet at night, and your Caesar died within the last five years, that was his soul or spirit going across the sky. And they would document that. They really believed that you, when you died, especially if you had an apotheosis, a transformation, if you were a righteous, noble man, somebody great like Jesus, you ascended. That's exactly why in Acts, he ascends into heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a whole different thing because that's later, that gospel's later, and it has him sticking around for 40 days after he dies and is buried, where the other gospels do not have any 40-day account. They mm -hmm. have, boom, boom, I've going up. Yep. And it, they don't even agree on this issue as well. So it's, well, I don't even me, know where to go. So, well, let me ask you this question, and then, yeah. and then we probably should wrap this up. Do you think that you and I could continue at a later date, like once you guys get moved up there and 
can we continue talking? Like we do, we can get outside of this, out of the testimony, and then you know, as we study, we might want to throw some ideas at you. Find out what you know. You know, send us some information. I one hundred percent and. I mean, like, we didn't get into Revelation. No. That's a very important book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to study— <laughs> Yeah, it'd be fascinating to Is that a book we're that. supposed yeah. to read? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing that I wanted to close with that— Well, I have one more question. Yeah, you go Because right I, I never do my homework. So, um, what what are you—what do you label your, yourself now, Derek? Like, and how long? I mean, well, I, I mean— I call— you know, non-believer, believer. Well, I'm not, uh, not uh, a believer. Okay. Okay. Which, not a believer in Christ, but are you a believer in God? No. And then how how long? Like how long have you had had this feeling? And do you ever think that you may change? I well, I don't know. Okay. Right? Like, well, and I'm I mean, not closed that's, off that's honest. It. Yeah. I'm really not. Um, it's it's it could my mind could easily change. And we're learning a lot. We've got the James Webb. You know, we might find something that goes, "What the heck? This just is." How do you explain this? You know, um, but, I love that. By the way, the James Webb. Have you seen how far it goes? It's the, ridiculous. The pictures Dude, are amazing. Man is man. I love it. I love watching that super zoom. It goes on forever. It's like we uh, it, we can't even cross our own Milky Way. You know, in the hundred thousand light years, like it takes like I forget how long it is. But there's, I mean, it's seeing like galaxy after galaxy after galaxy. The problem with calling myself an atheist, which is a a non a lack theist, someone who's not a theist, right? Is it's a negative term, right? Okay. So, so, or if you say I'm a non-believer, you might as well say it like I'm a non-believer. Yeah, and it's like yeah, everybody yeah. around <laughs> who's a believer is like, yeah, dude, look at me, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to hell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah the glass exactly. is empty. Like you're not a very optimistic <laughs> guy. Partially cloudy instead of partially sunny. Because it gives that, it gives a, well, the term atheism was really mostly used for people who don't believe in your particular God. Christians were called atheists. Uh, We talked about that, didn't we? Mm -hmm. The Romans called Christians, early Christians, atheists. Yeah. And if you didn't believe their gods existed, you could technically be labeled it. And it was like a a pejorative. It was like a negative derogatory term that was used. Today, Christians use it, and it kind of fits that still. But um, I would put myself in that category by the definition, right? Okay. That I don't believe there is a God, um, not closed off to there being one. But it's—I want to say this while you asked me that. This is important. My talk yesterday with my mom, she I was telling her where I'm at. Like, we've not really had that many talks about it, but I tell her, like, this is where I'm at. And it's kind of— we were talking about this before we recorded where I was like, I feel like my voice doesn't count because the believers in the room, all they hope for is that I finally come to believe again. Yeah. And it's like, I know why they're geared. Their whole motive is this, Derek, you'll come back. Yeah. You'll come back because they're right. Mm -hmm. And in reality, not even joking around, this is the reality that I always experience. And I'm thinking to myself, I have to be humble as a non-believer and just say, I get why they think that way. And I'll let them have that. I'll let them have it. Yeah. It makes them feel good. Yeah. But at the end of the day. Because we're supposed to save everybody. Right. Hey, it's part of their mission. Everyone. Yeah. And it's like my mom and my sister was in church recently. She sent out a, a mass text and she said, praise Jesus. Uh, he loves us. And like, it was like this long, like really down to Jesus thing. And I felt like I needed to say something, but not to be rude, not to like stir the pot. But I said, is it wrong? I said, that I write back and say that I don't believe that and that I disagree with you. 
Is it wrong? And then everyone made a fuss and they started talking and they went, because I thought, what if I was a follower of Zeus or if I believed Buddha or if I actually was a Hindu or I believed in a philosophy or a different God? And I said, oh, praise Buddha. I'm so happy to, uh, for a certain form of Buddhism they think is a God. Most of the time they're atheists themselves. But whatever it is, I can't say that to them. Mm -hmm. And think about how much I don't matter in my voice and what I say when it comes to this topic. And I told my mom not to be boast boasting here but i know more than every single one of you combined mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. this text and this book and about this religion and this faith and you know that i should come back to it yeah have you ever thought for one moment that maybe maybe you're wrong yeah yeah, yeah. you know yeah. and it's like ah it's a struggle i deal with but i have to be humble well, cuz your mom is just as passionate as you are she uh, is just differently so you know respect uh you know your opinion too. And if you get to so. a point where you have your understanding, you may think that you don't have to study anymore because you've figured it out and maybe you just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. That's true. My mom told me she had an experience. Yeah. And that the Lord told her. She said, Derek, the Lord told me that you're chosen. The devil brought this mosquito <laughs> up in here. Yeah, I know. It's killing you. I, He's I, been in here the whole time. So I, I can't believe you just now He noticed. started off at, my, at me. <laughs> driving I thought crazy. I, I tried to catch him once. Is, crazy. Is you were this right. camera the kind the that's been guy. rolling? Oh, it's yeah. The whole time. Oh, the faces and expressions <laughs> Rick has been making. It's driving oh, yeah. me bananas. Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad that's on camera. The yeah. one thing that I want to wrap up, because this is something that the boroughs always do, so when we wrap the show up, is... Regardless of our texts, whatever we want to believe, whether it's Mark, Matthew, wherever it is, there is there's a common theme that Christ does teach, which is that the fulfillment of the law was in were two commandments: to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's x that one off just for a minute, and let's say love your neighbor as yourself. That he said it was like unto it, right? And then when he was intimately with his disciples, he told them that I'm going to give you a new commandment. And you know what it is, that you would love one another even as I have loved you, right? And one thing that I've heard this whole night, you you made it where you are and you had a wife that loved you. You had a mom that loved you. And that love has gotten you this far. And we know that. My wife loves me. I mean, obviously. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Um, that's that humbleness. Yeah, yeah. You're probably the most humble man I've ever met, though, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just wait. And he'd agree I with know, you. Just, <laughs> the, but, but the thing that I want, that I, that we always bring up, you know, because I've had a lot of people say the very same thing that you did, like in my relationship to Andy. I, I have no interest in trying to convert Andy. I had to learn that. I had to unlearn and relearn. Well, that I've, I've been on the—we've had this conversation, but I've been on the other end of the spectrum where it's just like you get to this point where you're like, but it's so obvious to me. Yeah. You know? And yeah. you're just like, you have to unlearn that too. Yeah, and that's one thing, you know, that, we, that we're trying to do in this room is that, okay, not everybody is right, okay, including me, and— but the one thing that I do want to take from what Christ says, and yeah, we'll get to all that other stuff too, but that he said to love your neighbor as yourself, and a lot of us don't even love ourselves today. We think we do, or we're very selfish and we're looking at it, you know, but we don't really know how to take care of ourselves, you know, and you've learned what you need to do to take care of yourself. You have. And that now you've also turned it around and you're trying to help others and you're taught, you're being respectful of other people, whereas before you weren't. Before, like you were, you were a Christian, 
so it's like, do I want do I want the Derek that was crazy, constantly going into all these crazy theologies, always being right all the time, not really listening to what I have to say because there's a motive behind it because he's so right and he's trying to find a way to convert me or whatever it might be, or do I want the Derek that's here today that's genuine, that actually cares about other people and talks? I want the Derek today. That's the one that I'm interested in. Right? I really am. And then as far as the texts are concerned— I am just taking, I'm, I'm trying to learn them to the best of my ability, the best of my ability. And like you told me the other day on the phone, you know, the fear, first of all, the fear of hell does not have a grip on me whatsoever. I'm not afraid and I'm, I don't care what other people say. I have no fear of that whatsoever. I just, nor do I think it was taught in the scripture. However, I'll, we're not going to go into that today. But I have. The hardest part of, to me about being a Christian is something that I don't see a lot of other Christians doing, and that's the hard work that it takes to love somebody. Ryan, it was hard to love Derek, despite what everybody else might have been telling you, or what everybody else, or what you might have seen, or what you might have wanted. You stuck it in there, and you did too. You guys, you, and so so does everybody else. And you know, with the relationships. But if you are trying to love your enemy, if you would stop and focus on that for just a while, just take some time, and your worst mortal enemy that wants to destroy you, or steal from you, or take from you, or lie from you, or ruin your life, that you are commanded to love them. And if you take that 1 Corinthians 13, I don't give a rip whether you think Paul wrote it or not. Listen to what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. It does not seek its own. Like all of these things. And we read it at weddings. We read it at weddings. It's not a wedding text. It's about love, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest is love. We seem to forget that part. Part of being a Christian is learning how to love all of those that hate you. Well, that's because the word me isn't in the word love. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. But if we if we refuse, like you have, you've got this love in your heart. Like if you're trying to help addicts or you're trying to help people like you're respecting them and I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question? You're like, absolutely. I'm all about it. That's that's an awesome way of being, Derek. And for me, I just, I know a lot of people. I, I've seen a lot of people that... They're so concerned with making sure that you get converted that once you say, okay, I'm converted, then it's like everything's cool and everything's good. But Christ commanded us to love our very enemies. That I've heard, I think I heard it on your show, like being Christian is hard. Okay, if Christ was the one that's carrying the burden, and he did, according to the scriptures, he carries this burden, then the burden that's laid on us is the love. It's the love. And I'm not a hippie. Now, Andy even says he loves hippie Jesus. Like, hippie Jesus is good Jesus. Yeah. He, he tells loves, you the nice things. Yeah. Andy has this joke where he says, when things go bad, Jesus ducks and the Old Testament God comes up and throws him into hell. Like, oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> That's what he said. But in all reality— yeah, it's, You need the good cop, bad cop, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when we sit in this room and we're doing the studies, and whether we agree or we disagree, regardless— we are we we are commanded to love and that isn't a superficial love either that is a requirement that we have to work at it takes effort so if somebody says oh you know i don't believe in them islams you know we need to make that land a parking lot and they say that no i'm sorry i ain't going to pray for president biden because 
you know, he's full of hell or he's a Democrat or whatever. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know why Christians or Republicans were the worst, but truthfully speaking, guys, we are supposed to love our very enemy, the one that's ready to behead us. That is not an easy thing to do. It's a requirement of the Christian. So while we're focusing on all of this theology, we're focusing on all the stuff, you know, let's let's talk about full preterism and let's talk about post-millennial and let's talk about amillennial and all that stuff. If you have not love, you are a clanging symbol to me. To, to, to me completely. It's just a clanging symbol. But if you have the love in your heart, if you are, and it's not even a heart thing, guys, this is effort. You have to work. And it's like, you know, well, you don't have to work to get to heaven. You're right. According to the Christian, you know, belief, Christ did all these things. He did. He fulfilled all of this for the Christian. But he also told us, this is how they will know that you are one of my disciples, by how you love one another. And guess what? Christians don't love each other. Christians are too busy trying to be right. Christians are too busy trying to change you to conform you into their image in order to be happy with you. That is wrong, and that is not what the Bible teaches whatsoever. We have to stop trying to get everybody else to conform to our own image in order to make ourselves feel better. And we need to love everyone as they are. Christ said, I love you, not you're going to hell. And I don't care what anybody says. I've said that I love transgender people, and I have been ridiculed and mocked and said that, you know, you don't. Wrong answer, folks. They are human beings. They make choices every single day, just like you and I do. I don't care what you think. I love every single person. I will put the effort in to love that person. And Christ regardless. loves all of them just as much as he loves you. And I don't need you to convert for you to have that love. But I'm still going to pray for you. That's hey, <laughs> sounding like my mama now. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I, I said, love go, you. I said, go for it, mama. You know? <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. If, loving people, if loving people is heresy, then I will die a heretic. That's what my goal is, is that I want to learn how to love the way that he described Oh, that, I wish I wish I could because I've got I kids, want it. And, and <laughs> I think I, I, there are days that I I just yeah. I, uh, I, I a, got you, brother. <laughs> I, I think that's a noble philosophy to have is love. Yes, I really do. I think that that if there's anything you're going to take out, that's the one. I mean, ultimately, we mm -hmm. can we can discuss this. We can talk about that. We can we can get into all sorts of stuff. But love, I mean, the golden rule really is kind of one of those standards by which I think, how do you want to be treated? And this is, I was asked when I got clean off drugs, Derek, how do you know you forgave your father mm -hmm. for the things that he has done? I said, well, one of the reasons is I became him. Mm. And not completely, but I got to know what it's like to be him and in his shoes and went, I'm doing this to my family. What mm -hmm. am I doing? And then I was able to go like, I didn't mean to do this. Like yeah. we didn't know what we were doing. You know, it's like that. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, you know, that kind of thing. And I was able to forgive. And I think if we practice trying to empathize and understand others mm -hmm. in where they're at, it'll help us to overcome that. If we just go, I wonder what that person, why that person feels that way. Not what the heck is wrong with them? Why are they doing that? Or why do they think that? It's like, try to really understand where they're coming from. That's what's helped me a lot too in the way that I respect believers too, and because I get a lot of hate, you know, yeah. for being. No, I'm sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think empathy is is the key there. I think too many people, especially here in the South, 
are 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 hooked on sympathy. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, a f you and instead of trying to understand them um, and and what they've gone through, and we don't know how they got where they are. Our jobs, our job isn't to condemn them because how are we going to convert them if we condemn them? How about we love them? And then maybe they'll listen to what we have to say. We have a conversation, and who knows? Maybe one thing sticks, and maybe it turns out that I'm right or you're right, or who knows? But you know, I got one more. Sorry, sorry, Rick. Um, no, it's fine. How, how was how, your dad? Where was he at religiously? And I know you said he was gone a lot. So did he go to church, or did your mom drag you guys to church, or was he involved? Mom was mainly the guy. Okay, okay. So how, how did, does your dad feel about? He's he was Roman Catholic. Okay. And not all Roman Catholics are like strictly religious. He barely went to church. Okay, okay. I mean, he I knew you said like he was a, Catholic, but yeah, I, I, not I, I devout, wasn't sure. You know, okay. went to communion. Very, hey, we are rarely. on Sundays, <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah, he said he'd been to church. I think he had like a 23, 23 year span where he went to church like two or three times, and okay. they were only for weddings. So he's not like a very religious guy, but he does believe. Mom and dad believe. Everyone in my family, I think, I'm the only oddball. I mean, in my direct family that, yeah. you know, believes, even my wife believes in something. Yeah. yeah, She doesn't know what it is. She doesn't put the Jesus on it, but she does believe in love. She has a tattoo that's in Japanese that says love. Mm -hmm. And um, so she believes in love. I believe in love. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just because someone doesn't believe there's a higher power, but that's where it gets into all these other things. Like, like, how can you have meaning if this is it? And it's like, I mean, when you wake up in the morning and you're hungry, you find purpose in making that meal. And like, so I don't think there's like some metaphysical beyond required. Yeah. Like, you know, you know. All, of, all of those arguments like Pascal's wager and all the stupid stuff that we do to try to get people to, again, so that we can get them to conform to the image that we need in order to feel confident that you're <laughs> saved. That's what we do. Like, right. you know. So I like to do this too. So when you die, you just die. Do you remember being... Before you were born, what do you remember? Oh, nothing. That's what I think happens okay. when we die. And I and it's not because I know that. It's like That's, what makes the most sense to me on the world that I'm living in, the the brain and everything that I've been given, if you will. And yep. and uh I'm okay with that. I think I've had a it's been tough. You ever and look then, at a field of fireflies? I think of each one of those as a human life. <laughs> I'm serious. Really? Like That's how I think about it. Reincarnation or no, just there's your time. And then it's over. And you, gotcha. you, I know oh, the okay. firefly continues on. The metaphor breaks down. It's but so no, not re reincarnation. It's just that's sort of how I think about it. It's just like a we have our moment. Yeah, you have your yeah. moment. Well, yeah. I told you my mom's a frisbeterian because she believes the soul is like a frisbee and it gets stuck on a roof somewhere <laughs> forever. <laughs> you know, I know that's weird. That she said like, that that that's like sounds like purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> if I can shock you though, just pertaining to that really interesting question. I love answering that just to give you my point. I wish this wasn't all there was. Mm -hmm. I okay. wish there was more. I really do. I yeah. mean, I hope I you're right. I play, I know, right. I wish that were the case, but I'm also not going to believe by wishful thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to go with what I think is factual and I think that keeps me also humble because I can go off and start believing in anything if I'm yeah, wishful thinking. Absolutely. Well, I think God honors that. And, and, and uh, I, I know every pastor I've ever had is probably going, oh, God, I'm glad he's not in my church anymore. I, I know so many atheists are probably going, what, Derek, you said what? Yes, I said it. 
Yeah. I don't want this to be the end and that's it. I want to be able to enjoy love and this this moment as a firefly in the light, in the sun, and enjoy this moment. I wish that it went beyond this, but I think the world is a little bit it, I mean, it's, reality is a little scarier. It's a little harsher. Science, yeah. Science yeah. defines energy, which we all have. It's not being created or destroyed, but it just changes form. That's science. I mean, if you're an atheist, you can at least expect that your energy is going to become yeah, food we for are something. All, what, what the, we are all made of stars thing. That's right. Which we absolutely are. We I are. mean, literally, yeah. we are made of stars. Yeah. Yeah. I, had a, I had a girlfriend a long time ago who uh, kind of addressed that in a way that put it in relief, which we're saying just a minute ago. I don't know. I was like, she was like kind of a hippie girl, like crystals and stuff. And I was naysaying something, I'm sure. And uh, and she just kind of like looked at me flatly and was like, well, your life's no fun. And I was like, like, that's, you know how there's like four or five things people have said to you in your life that you go back to like reliably? <laughs> like that's one of them for me. You're like, the, you're the other, like, where's my shoes? I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, she was great. She it was meant like, something to you. It meant like, something right. to me. I was, yeah, I'm living was, kind of a boring life. Huh? Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, no, that that makes sense to me. And and whether or not she truly believed her level of consciousness about her belief and the function of it is sort of brings me awe. Yeah. So, and the other good one was one time I was uh, at, pulled up to a turn. Uh, we were very young, and uh, I looked back and forth and back and forth. And eventually, my friend in the passenger side said, "If you wait long enough, somebody's going to come." So that's one of the other ones that I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Well, Derek and Ryan, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. It was awesome. You. I appreciate yeah, your awesome. honesty. I really do. The honesty is awesome. You know, to be able to well, and the openness too. Yeah. Yeah, and I've it's, it's not to easy open. to open up and just let everybody know, like, your personal things that you do, you know? Sure. So, we yeah. really appreciate it. And, you know, if you guys aren't afraid of flying, I'll bring you back, you know? We'll do some more North Carolina stuff. Washington State's, we might even go to Seattle on a field trip, guys. That's a big Hey, I've got a cousin out there. Let's go. Yep. Yep. I think it'd be fun. We could go see where the Green River Killer was. Oh, yeah. That's it's a serious callback. Guys. Right was, there. It's it's, <laughs> it's right there. Yeah it's, yeah. Pretty, it's pretty cool. The mountains and I mean, everything. I mean, we're here in the Appalachian, but I mean, it's it's different. Yeah, yeah. it's different. totally They're different. They're different mountains. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful up there. I actually like it. And I'm, I am I like the rain. I do. I like the rain. Um, I got to end, end this with a joke. I'm sorry. Well, I have well, to. Duh. You know, he keeps yeah. saying he's going to end it with a joke. I've only heard one or two. So here it is. Here it is. So there is a man with no arms. He's disabled. His name is Steve. And he goes to his the pastor of his church and he says, Pastor, listen, here's the deal. My whole life, everyone's had to do everything for me. And I want to do something in return. I want to do something for the church. Is there a job that I could do for the church? And he says, well, Steve, listen. He's like, every job's pretty much taken. There is one job, but you can't do it. And he says, well, what is it? And he says, well, I need somebody to ring the bell every Sunday morning. And he says, there's no way you can't, you know, you can't pull the chain or whatever. And he goes, I'll take the job. Let me, let me do it. So the pastor says, fine. So Sunday morning comes, he goes to the belfry, he sees the ladder, he climbs up the ladder with no arms. He's climbing up, you know, with his legs. He gets to the top, he looks at the bell, he can't get the chain. He headbutts the bell, bam, and he keeps headbutting it until it gets ringing and finally the bell is tolling and they can hear it throughout the whole community. Big success. He does the job, right? So he gets the job. Well, this goes on for months. 
And just one morning, he's bebopping into church. He's getting ready. He's got to go ring the bell. And he's super excited. He's having a great day, you know? And he climbs up there, and it's time. He looks at his watch, and he just starts hammering down on this bell. And he hits it so far that the thing comes back and just, bam, hits him in the head, knocks him out. He falls down through the belfry. He hits the ground. He rolls out into the parking lot, completely knocked out. Well, some of the stragglers from the church come running up. Did I say something wrong? You said he looked at it as watch, and Ralph and I can't figure out how he looked. (laughs) He he looked at his watch on his ankle. Why didn't you say that? (laughs) You were just going 90 miles an hour. (laughs) Yeah, so he looked at his his ankle watch. Or he's actually, let's just be real. He was more like uh, the guy, uh, Flavor Flav. He had the clock on his ankle. So, you know, he's knocked himself out. He's out in the middle of the parking lot. And the stragglers from church come running up, and one of them happens to be an EMT. And he gets down, and he screams at everybody. He's like, do not touch him. Don't touch him. And I was like, does, does anybody know who this is? And one of the congregants comes up and says, you know, I don't know his name, but his face rings a bell. Oh. Oh. Well, I can say this. He did oh. at least make me laugh at a joke. <laughs> but only whenever I got was mistaken about looking at my watch. <laughs> well, because you looked at your watch. Well, I'm watching you look at your watch on your hand. I, you know, and I just, well, why did I give him the name Steve? Like, what does it matter? The point is, it's really long and it's got a terrible, terrible ending. <laughs> anyway, well, Andy, this was a great show. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah it was and good. Ralph, Billy... Holly, thank you guys for being here. And again, I hope you guys will come back yeah, again. This is I awesome. want to have you back. And when you're over there, and you know, like I said, we might do we might do a field trip. I think we're going to do it annually. We're going to do something around the country. It'll be fun. You know, I think we're going to go out to the Mormons. <laughs> that would be a blast. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about God I, having I, a body. I know. <laughs> Like a real physical body, but yeah. we'll get there because there's, yeah. a, there's we'll some there. stuff there. Yeah, there's a lot. and guys, if you want to know more about Derek, you can go, you can look up on YouTube. You can see it's Derek Myth Vision. Oh, just Myth just Vision Myth podcast. Vision podcast. Yeah, and because uh, I always search Derek Myth Vision when I search, you can you know? find me that way. Yeah, but but if you look up the Myth Vision podcast, there's several. Things. Did you did you actually uh, talk with Lawrence Krauss? Yeah. Yeah, Are you kidding me right now? Multiple times. Bart Ehrman, uh, Elaine Pagels. Like, you've talked to a lot of people, and those weren't even the scholars. You, didn't you just talk to James Tabor? Yeah, yeah. Just came back from his office in uh, Charlotte yesterday. Yeah. I mean, so, so guys— he wrote the Jesus Dynasty, and I'm going in October to Israel— um, with him, and I'm his cameraman, so he's taking me to all the archaeological digs where John the Baptist is buried. I mean, you name it, we're going there. Where Jesus was teaching the the Sea of Galilee, like we're going to all of those sites. Man. How'd you get to be his cameraman? Um, he took a liking to yeah. me when I interviewed him, and he and I was like, let's work together. I'll, you know? I'll bring my camera. Can I be a cameraman? <laughs> <laughs> all you got to do is start, buy the ticket. He started a YouTube channel yeah, I got with, him. with Derek's help. You know, like, it inspired him to start one, and so he's, you know, works a lot with Derek. Yeah. Super, super nice guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I look forward to talking to you guys again. So safe travels and good luck on the move. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And we will talk to you guys next time on the Burrows of Berea. See ya. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None.
But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.